You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 430. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 17th of June, 2020. episode, the families of victims and survivors filed suit over last year's crash of a vintage B-17. There was a Boeing 767 engine fire on the tarmac in Fort Lauderdale. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, the well-dressed evening. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, Flight 430 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern, Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, for the last 31 and a half years. And I am joined today by my Osham, my awesome co-host for the time being and here he is from his home studio in the english countryside professional photographer former raf rwaf fighter pilot retired captain for an international airline based in london it's captain nick i should do my best to be awesome awesome <laughs> it's so awesome to see you <laughs> it's been a long time since it was just the and me so I need to know who put who changed airline pilot guy to airline pilot gal show. Was that you, Liz? <laughs> you know, you we used to me. do this all the time. I know. And we very rarely caught you out. <laughs> I saw that and I uh, went, "Oh, that's cute." All right. <laughs> um, so uh, it's just uh, Nick and I at this moment. Uh, we'll have uh, other co-hosts joining us at various points. Uh, during the show today. So, Nick, are you ready to talk some news? Well, I'll do my best. All right, here we go. Stand by for news. Let's start off with item A in the news notebook families and survivors sue the callings foundation over the b-17 bomber crash and this is from fox61.com the plane carrying 13 people crashed and burned after experiencing mechanical trouble on takeoff on october 2nd from bradley international airport and that was october of last year and New developments here. Uh, survivors and the families of the people killed in the plane crash filed a lawsuit against the vintage plane's owner, the Collins Foundation. We were meant to be together, apparently not forever, uh, Deborah Riddell said of her husband, Rob, who was killed in the crash. 
Deborah Riddle was just one of the many loved ones watching a historic B-17 bomber with her husband on board crash uh, at Bradley International. The plane carrying 13 people uh, crashed and burned after experiencing mechanical trouble on takeoff. Pilot Ernest McCauley, 75, of Long Beach, California, had flown for over 20 years with the educational group that owned the World War II era plane and was also its safety officer. Five passengers were killed along with McCauley and the co-pilot Michael Foster, 71, of Jacksonville, Florida, passengers Gary Mazzone, or Mazzoni, uh, Robert Riddell, East Granby, uh, James Roberts, and David Broderick, and Robert Rubner of uh, Connecticut. NTSB member Jennifer Homen, Homendi, or Homendi said at a news conference shortly after the crash, they will look into witness reports that work was being done on one or two of the engines prior to takeoff. The plane had been uh, last through a major inspection in January of 2019. So, um, yeah, another sad development there. Um, they already basically suspended all of the um, permits that this company had or this foundation had to give rides to passengers and historic aircraft. And now um, it just gets worse. They're getting uh, sued by uh, family members. I mean, I don't blame them, you know, but that's. Uh, no, it was kind of inevitable once the FAA revoked their permission uh, mm -hmm. because obviously they had concerns. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, once that happens and you officially find out that they had some failings, uh, then, yeah, it's going to happen. It probably would have happened anyway, quite honestly. You think? Yep. Yeah. I believe it was inevitable. inevitable. All yeah. right. Um, do, I, I'm not entirely familiar. Do you reckon uh, an organization like this would have had insurance to cover Oh, I would certainly hope so, but I yeah, don't know if they in, had, you know, indemnity insurance or whatever it would be called. I would think that that would be a smart thing to have, especially yeah. if you're, uh, you know, there's always the possibility of having an incident. And uh, if you're going to be taking passengers up, I would imagine that that would be a smart. Yeah. But I, I wonder if, uh, if they discover there was any negligence involved, I wonder then whether invalidates they can, yeah, whether they're then going to be dipping into the estate Mm. of the dead pilot it's when it gets so damn sad yeah um, yeah i don't know well i guess we'll find out uh, i know we have a, a bunch of listeners up in that area of the country and i'm sure that if something does come up uh they'll they'll turn our attention toward it sure um item b okay so uh, we had this atlas air flight 3591 a cargo plane crashed um, on its way from South Florida to um, to Houston. I think it was from Miami, or I'm not sure exactly where it took off, but anyway, um, it doesn't matter. Uh, it crashed uh, just outside of uh, Houston. It was heading to uh, Houston Intercontinental, and this was uh, back in February of uh, last year, and it was an Atlas Air Flight uh, 3591. And Trinity Bay was where it crashed. Um, they uh, just announced uh, a few days ago that the NTSB actually announced. This is from the Aviation Herald, by the way. Simon Horatsky's um, wonderful site. Uh, that uh, the NTSB is scheduled to hold a board meeting on the 14th of July. So the 14th, uh, just under a month from now. 
um, at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time to determine the probable cause of the February 23, 2019 Atlas Air Flight 3591 crash. And uh, so it's one of those things where we'll all be able to, I I guess, tune in to the, uh, it's going to be live streamed. And uh, we'll have the information about how you can watch it if you like. Uh, I'll have that in the in the show notes. But um, you'll remember that the uh, 767 had uh, a captain, first officer, and there was a another pilot on the jump seat who was actually traveling to Houston to uh, start indoc- indoctrination uh, for his uh, new pilot training class at United Airlines, and uh, all three were killed in this tragic accident. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear what uh, what they figure is the probable cause. They're presumably doing this because of COVID. They can't convene um, together. Right. Is that right, Jeff? I believe so. so. Mm-hmm. Is this Would this be one of the first times the public have been able to access a live stream? I don't think so. I think that the... Um, they had a, a similar type of thing, but they were the, all the members of the board were present. Um, but they did live stream the um, the board meeting of the uh, talking about the uh, almost crash of the um, Air Canada uh, at San Francisco that oh, okay. that uh, that went around and almost crashed into all those airplanes because of the closed yeah, runway. I that. Um, so I don't know. I'm sure they probably have done it even before that, but that's the last one that I remember seeing. So I don't think this is the first time that they've uh, yeah. live streamed these things. So, Well, this is going to be interesting because there's an awful lot to come out that we don't understand about this particular crash. Eh? Right. Yeah. yeah a, lot, a lot of head scratching. Yep. All right. Um, so, yeah, one of those people, I, we know that we were talking about the uh, previous news item, the, the uh, Collings Foundation, and I said that we have a lot of listeners up in the uh, northeastern United States, and one of those folks is in our chat room, and his name, everybody recognizes this name, Main Man Micah, and he says the Collings Foundation has been around for many, many years. They not only run the air show, but they have a museum on site in Massachusetts. I'm sure they have all the insurance coverage they need, so yeah, we're hoping so. Oops, okay. Um and let's then move on to so we're not really going to talk much about that um, atlas air crash because the whole point of uh, it being in our news uh, notebook was to just alert everybody that uh, they are going to be live streaming this and i'm sure we'll have a lot to say about it after they do the 14th of july meeting um incident uh this is item c viet jet a321 at ho chi minh city on the 14th of june which was just about three days ago uh, runway excursion on landing again this is from the aviation herald avherald.com um by salmon simon salmon <laughs> sorry simon simon radke uh a viet jet air Airbus A321-200 registration, Victor November Alpha 657, performing flight 322 from Phu Quoc to Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, landed on Ho Chi Minh City's runway 25 left at 1222 local time, but veered right off the runway and came to a stop with all gear on soft ground. There were no injuries. The aircraft received minor damage. The passengers disembarked 
via mobile stairs. The aircraft's wheels sank partly into the soft ground and needed to be dug out before the aircraft could be towed to the apron. The airport uh, needed to be closed for about two hours. Runway 25 right is currently closed due to works in progress. Of course, this is uh, when shortly after the accident. I'm sure everything is just fine now. The airline confirmed the occurrence, reporting heavy rain caused the aircraft to skid off the runway. And so if we look at the METARs um, for, uh, well, the first one about 40 minutes before this uh, was, let's see, 522, five, no, actually about 22 minutes before. Uh, they had a light thunder shower in the area with scattered clouds and winds were 240 one five gusting two eight mostly down the runway and it says remark um, cb over the runway um, and then uh, cumulonimbus and then uh, just uh, about eight minutes after the runway excursion we have uh, winds 310 gusting to 26 and the winds are varying anywhere from 230 degrees to 340 degrees with a plus uh, shra a plus uh, heavy thunderstorm and heavy rain uh, on the runway. And I'm guessing, I have not looked at the uh, 10-9 page, the airport diagram, to see what kind of surface the runway has, but I think a lot of runways, uh, especially that part of the world, uh, do not have uh, grooving to help with, um, you know, to prevent water planing or uh, hydroplaning. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if they have a porous friction, friction overlay or any kind of a surface that uh, helps with that sort of thing. So if you have a lot of water being dumped on a runway, I can easily see how they could have gotten into a hydroplaning kind of situation. Yeah, even even with those uh, those assistances to uh, help with uh, runway friction and to help drain the water, uh, aquaplaning is very likely uh, after a heavy thunderstorm. Uh, and, um, you know, water can build up extremely quickly. And unless the Runways well constructed with a good runoff, and the lo- the area around that doesn't pull uh, and allow puddles to come on. Uh, there are lots of things that uh, can happen that will spoil your day. Um, but they they seem to have um, come off, and uh, I don't know which direction do you reckon they're pointing? Still in the direction they landed, because there's some distance from the <laughs> from the runway, aren't they, Jeff? Um, well, actually, I think that that. Yeah, um, that looks like the direction they were landing in. I can't really make out the orientation here. I'm trying to work out whether the uh, piece of tarmac that's parallel to the aircraft uh, but a bit further away is the runway or whether the large um, diagonal uh, piece is the runway. Um, I think that um, they were they were attempting to land on two five left, which would be the runway in the lower part of the or the center of that image. Uh, yeah. The uh, two five right would be the one above it. So um, it it doesn't look like they went that far off the runway, and they went off to the right. It appears in this photo here, and then that uh, photo right above it. Uh, looks like it wasn't too far off the uh, prepared surface uh, by the time the uh, the mud just kind of slowed the airplane to yeah. a stop. So uh, we we once you once you're aquaplaning, uh, it's kind of like being on ice uh, until you can get grip back onto the tires again. It's very hard to uh, keep directional control, and if you've got a, a squirrely wind, 
wind wasn't too bad, but mm. if it uh, at three hundred gusting twenty six, that's that's more or less all of it across. If if mm -hmm. it could have swung around under the runway heading, of course, we don't know exactly what the the tower wind was, but uh, it it is a problem and uh, it's something to be very aware of. Uh, you know, when you're landing in uh, in very heavy rain, the runway can can change uh, the nature of the surface very quickly as water pulls on it. Yeah. Yeah, it does appear that um, if they were indeed aquaplaning or hydroplaning or whatever you want to call it, uh, that with the wind 50 degrees off the runway heading to the right, that that would be the natural way for the nose to orient itself and you know, yeah, you're just along for the I'm ride. Looking at, that point. at the tires, they're they're pretty wrecked. But mm -hmm. I was looking to see if I could see any uh, indication of boiling of the mm -hmm. the classic. You get a hot, smooth patch mm -hmm. when when you're aquaplane and the and the tire stops moving. Uh, then you can quite quickly wear a um, a flat patch. I can't see anything. The tire, what I can see of the tire surface, <laughs> it's pretty messed up. <laughs> it is pretty messed up. Apart from the fact that they're all wrecked because they went yeah. into the grass, uh, I can't see any signs. But that doesn't mean that didn't. Maybe that care. flat spot is like um, on, that's. The part that's in you know buried in, yeah. in the mud <laughs> could well be because if the guys had the uh, had the brakes just his feet to the floor trying to stop, mm -hmm. uh, they probably did stay down there. Yeah. Oh, I see. I've I've got a better picture of the final position. I right. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't scroll down far enough. I see uh -huh. where they came off now. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they didn't go far off. No, but, it looks uh, like uh, they almost were able to keep it on the on the runway. Yeah, yeah, just enough to spoil their day. Yeah, exactly. More paperwork, uh, and and glad the passengers were all safe, and yeah. at least they managed to dig it out and tow it away. So uh, often that's the biggest problem: yep. getting the aircraft back on its uh, wheels again. Yep, and it doesn't look like there was much damage at all. So, mm. you know, not quite a happy ending, but it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> well, if you're getting no, I, I, I better not go there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? What's that? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's the, you got the Hoover out again. Yeah. <laughs> well, need to clean up around here. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. Um, guess what we're going to talk about? Yep. Uh, remember back, uh, when was that? Well, last year? No, that was 2018, December of 2018. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I can't believe yeah. it's been that long. Quite <laughs> um, a while ago. Wow. Okay. Um, have they had another incident since then? I guess not. Um, it was in, at Gatwick, uh, in, outside of London and the, um, local, uh, police, the Sussex police, uh, arrested a couple and, uh, apparently they had nothing to do at all with the, uh, the drone operation near the airport. And, uh, let's see, a couple arrested over the Gatwick airport drone chaos that halted flights received 200,000 pounds in compensation. Actually, though, if you really look into it, they, the couple themselves were paid 55,000 pounds and the 145,000 pounds went to the lawyers or the, the, the legal team. Isn't that the way it always is? <laughs> <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> hey, yeah. if you're out there, or you're a lawyer, you know, we love you and all, but mm, Yeah. Necessary, I guess. Um, armed. Well, I don't think they exactly uh, beat them up, but they they incarcerated them overnight. And mm -hmm. They spit them up, and uh, uh, I think perhaps they were the police were under a lot of pressure because uh, closing that airport had hit all the headlines in all the 
TV stations, not just in the UK, but around the world. So mm-hmm. the, the Sussex police were under enormous pressure to try and find whoever was flying these drones over the airfield and effectively closing it. Lots of diversions. So it was a, it was a nightmare. Uh, they obviously jumped um, to a conclusion they shouldn't have uh, with this chap who was uh, – he, he used to fly um, – model aircraft he was a model aircraft enthusiast so. well obviously he's guilty then <laughs> <laughs> oh dear can you well, imagine though one. you're you're in your home and 12 armed officers swooped in uh into your home and arrest you and they don't even own a drone <laughs> no no absolutely wow. yeah well, yeah, they, well they they issued a um a statement that said that, uh, well, their, their legal team issued a statement. We were delighted to have uh, finally received vindication. It's been a very long uh, fight for justice. And I believe there was also a, a public apology by the Sussex police uh, in uh, detaining them um, inappropriately. So Yeah. Apparently, that 96 people of interest were identified and researched and ruled out. Obviously, these two slipped through the cracks. Uh, the investigation uh, and the cost of the operation uh, was about £790,000. Wow. And they never actually found out who was responsible. In so, fact, I think they said that uh, they think that some of the sightings were actually the drones operated by the police. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Still an awful lot of confusion. Uh, yeah. But uh, suffice to say, uh, it was the catalyst that, uh, re- you know, generated some decent anti-drone equipment mm-hmm. to be positioned both at uh, Gatwick and Heathrow. Uh, and I think we saw the effects of the Heathrow equipment, uh, you know, only uh, six months or so ago when uh, a team of uh, anti-aviation group decided they were going to try and fly drones and sh- shut Heathrow and they couldn't even get these things airborne they they videoing themselves trying to launch these drones and they they wouldn't even take off so hmm. whatever they've got in place uh, seems to be working wonder so, how much money they spent on all that stuff well i'm i'm suggesting that uh, it's probably cheaper <laughs> maybe yeah Cheaper in the long term yeah. than, than all these police investigations. But, Probably uh, right. And yeah. fewer people falsely incarcerated. Yeah, yeah they, 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 were, they were estimating some enormous sums for all the disruption, mm-hmm. uh, all the diversions, passengers being mispositioned, flights canceled, etc. So I think it will be worth it in the long run. Okay. Let's move on then. Item E. Again. From the Aviation Herald, our favorite news, aviation news, accident, incident source. Um, so we talked about this when it happened, and it was back in 2015, five years, well, not quite five years ago, about almost though, October 29th, 2015, Dynamic Airways Boeing 767-200 registration, November 251, Mike Yankee performing flight 405 from Fort Lauderdale to Caracas, Venezuela, with 79 passengers and 11 crew was taxiing for departure, holding short of Fort Lauderdale's runway 28 right. After contacting tower when the crew of another aircraft, which was a silver airways uh, flight 119 advised there was a massive fuel leak from the left-hand engine, which was a JT nine D the seven, six, seven crew acknowledged and requested to return to the ramp 
when the other crew alerted the engine was now on fire. The 767 was evacuated via slides. Emergency services responded, put the fire out using foam, reporting that the fire was out seven minutes after the other crew had alerted uh, of the engine fire. One occupant received serious injuries, 21 minor injuries, as a result of the evacuation, and the 767 received substantial damage, and apparently it was just too much damage to actually fix the airplane, so it was, uh, it was totaled. Um, yeah. So the reason why we're talking about it is that uh, just, wow, it took a while for them to release the final report, um, all, as I said, almost, almost five years. Uh, they released the final report on the 10th of June. Um, citing that the probable probable cause of the accident was the separation of the flexible fuel line coupling and subsequent fuel leak due to the failure of maintenance personnel to install the required safety lock wire. Oops. Contributing to the severity of the accident was the initiation of the evacuation before the right-hand engine was shut down, which led to the passenger's injury. Um, Now, they kind of go in a a little sequence of events here, and I kind of highlighted some of the things I thought were you know, uh, highlightable about 20 minutes prior to pushback during the pre-flight preparation. So 20 minutes prior to pushback, the crew noted an anomaly with a fuel quantity indication and fuel tank configuration set by mechanics. But it yeah. does, that's all it says. And then the airplane pushed yeah. back. Yeah, but they didn't query the mechanic. I, well, I don't know. I don't suppose they did because it was just 20 minutes and that doesn't say that they delayed at all and they pushed back. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So the uh, and then it talks about again the uh, when they were out there holding short of the runway, which is a pretty short taxiing. Um, well, it was it's not very far from Acme operations at Fort Lauderdale. Uh, let me put it mm-hmm. this way. Um, and Silver, uh, Silver Air um, operates. Well, they used to. I don't know. It's been a while since I've operated out of Fort Lauderdale, but we used to operate right next to the terminal where Silver uh, operates. And they were uh, flying at that time um, Saab 340s, I believe. Anyway, that's uh, ni- neither here nor there. Um, and so they were saying, hey, you know, uh, the, the airplane ahead of us is 767. There's like a lot of fuel leaking from the uh, the wing. And then I think they said something. The, the crew of the uh, 767 said, okay, well, we need to return to the gate. Now, that's an interesting transmission, Jeff, because I, I was just thinking, what would I do in this circumstance if I had been told I had a big fuel leak from an engine? Would I taxi it all the way back to the gate while I'm spewing no. fuel? I think I think the first <laughs> no. thing that would come to our minds, um, Nick, are like we need to shut that number one engine down. If yeah. there's a massive fuel leak. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even if you then subsequently go, oh, okay, it, it stopped. Well, I've still got the other engine going. Mm-hmm. Shall I consider taxiing back? But for me, it's parking brake on. Let's deal with the emergency. I do think i'd be going i'll I'll just text it back to the gate thank you very much yeah i don't know that does sound odd to me as well so according to the flight attendants passengers witnessed the fire on the left engine many moved from the left side to the right side of the cabin while the airplane was still taxiing passengers were requesting the crew to open the doors and evacuate (laughs) like hey we the engine's on fire (laughs) would you open the doors please we need to get out uh, yeah. The flight attendants opened the forward left, one left, forward right, one right, and aft right to R cabin doors. The side rafts deployed, although the flight attendant at 2R, the one on the right side in the back, noted that the slide did not appear to inflate quickly or symmetrically, 
um, likely because the number two engine was still running at the time on the right side. Uh, by the way, did you, um, I included this video, I believe it was that first, the first image that you see there. If you click on it, um, it should bring you to the, um, video of the evacuation and you can see all this happening. Um, so I'll, I'll make sure that I'll have that in the, in the show notes, but, uh, let me know if you are, let me I hear. can certainly see all the deformed slides. I can't actually see the, oh, video. it's not working, um, the way that I had planned. Maybe it's a little bit further down. There's, huh, what happened? Well, if you click on that Facebook link, uh, okay. I got um, you. I thought I had oh, set it up so yeah. you can just click on the, on the photo and it would take you right to the video on Facebook, but apparently not. So you can probably hear in the background um, the noise of the evacuation or the, or actually airport noise. So here, let me turn that down because it's kind of irritating to hear all that noise in my ear. But uh, the video clearly shows uh, flames and very, very dark black smoke coming from the left side of the aircraft. You can see the uh, doors opening up, the evacuation slides. Uh, popping out and because uh, the right engine was still running uh, the the slide um, in the back was being you know skewed aft and uh, not deploying properly and then you can one of the first passengers that made it down the slide basically gets caught up in the um, in the uh, jet stream of the uh, from the engine and gets blown and tumbles along the ramp, and I think that's where the person received the uh, severe injuries. All I can say is it's a good job that the overwing exit um, slides didn't function. Exactly. Because could you, you can imagine if people started going out of the overwing exit with a running engine there. Right. That's wow. why I, I thought the same thing. Uh, in, in the report here, it talks about the fact that uh, they did try to use the uh, overwing exits on the right side, and um, the, um, the slide didn't pop out. Um, and as Nick just said, that's a good thing because the engine was still running. Yeah. Um, so, uh, after the evacuation had already begun, the flight crew advised over the PA to evacuate out the right side of the airplane. The number two engine, the right engine was still running. And about 11 seconds after the airplane came to a stop, one of the passengers who evacuated through to right passed behind the engine where the exhaust caused him to fall on the pavement, resulting in serious injuries. Okay, we talked about that. About 35 seconds later, the number two engine was shut down. Hmm. So I'm going to go in the average evacuation checklist. That's not the way it normally happens. No. Normally you shut the engines first, and then the last thing you do is call for the evacuation. Well, if you scroll a little bit further down here, Nick, uh, under communications, I thought this was oh, um, yes. okay. uh, very, I very important. We get to this. <laughs> yeah. So the A flight attendant, the lead flight attendant, the purser, whatever you want to call that person, activated the emergency signaling system located on a panel above the jump seat to notify the flight deck and the other crew members of an emergency. The chime was audible in the cockpit voice recorder recording, but the flight crew did not respond via the interphone. So they didn't check to see what what was going on in the back. Uh, There was no indication on the cockpit voice recorder of an evacuation checklist or communication between the cabin and the flight deck. Now, I'm sure that they had their hands full there communicating with Tower, the other airplane that's seeing a massive fuel leak, and then saying the engine's on fire. It was, you know, probably pretty chaotic up there, but no no acknowledgement at all uh, or communication at all with uh, the, the flight attendant crew. So... 
That was well, not to, to me. That that is a problem, but I can understand that sometimes when you're receiving inputs which are probably going to be duplicated. Yeah, tower's going to tell you you're on fire. The fireman's going to tell you on fire. Your flight crew in the back's going to tell you on fire. You know you're on fire. Right. For me, the big thing is that leads to an action, and the action is to do the evacuation checklist. Exactly. And that for me is just the biggest mm, mm -hmm. uh, error, uh, and it I think it's unforgivable. Yeah. But they didn't run the evacuation checklist. Not sure. I uh, didn't read the full report. I'm not sure what happened with the uh, captain and first officer with uh, with this uh, particular company. This is one of these smaller uh, charter kind of operations. I believe they were based in um, at the Piedmont Triad uh, Airport. You may have heard of that airport in North Carolina. And uh, they had, uh, I guess this airplane had been in storage for what was it like 29 months something like that uh let's see um and it was owned by Kalita, and then i guess uh this company uh leased the airplane and so after this long-term storage um apparently they didn't notice that the uh, fuel coupling had not been safety wired um let's see so additionally the strut fuel feed line components while not specifically called out could be looked at during a zonal inspection general visual of the area during a 1c interval that's a kind of a a major check um yeah. the aircraft the airplane accumulated about 240 flight hours between the fuel line coupling service and the accident so yeah. So, um, hmm. Yeah. For the wonder of a couple of dollars of locking wire. Mm -hmm. And for those who aren't the least bit familiar with uh, what that does, if you, if you have a, a bolt that needs to remain nice and tight and uh, it, because of vibration, uh, it can have a tendency to undo, then uh, the bolt is uh, often shaped like a little castle. And uh, in the shaft of the bolt, uh, when you screw it on, there's a hole. And you can run wire through that hole and wrap it around uh, the bolt so that um, it locks it in place, uh, hence the term locking wire. So, um, yeah, that, that uh, yeah, for, and it's, it's real cheap stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, you know, $2 and you've got a written off airplane and severely injured passenger and mm -hmm. all the nightmare that followed. Exactly. Pilot Pip in the live chat room on YouTube says, was it a checklist for you, Nick, or memory items? And I think he's talking about the evacuation checklist. It was a checklist for us. I know some airlines did it as a memory item, Pip, but uh, for us it was a checklist. Uh, and because it, it was very simple to, for us to run, it was on the back of our tray table. So, uh, or, and on the back of the QRH. So you just had to grab the QRH and it was right there yep. in front of you. And we used to make a point of doing it, you know, uh, it used to take a good 15 or 20 seconds to get through it. But it was so important to make sure you got that right because, you you know, if you miss a step, you could just end up in this situation. So, yeah, we didn't rely on our memories for that one. Exactly. It's very, very important, especially with this checklist, that it be done um, deliberately and not rushing through yeah. it, which um, I'm imagining would be very difficult to do when you have all kinds of things going on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for same thing with, uh, ACME, uh, our evacuation checklists are on the back page of the QRH. 
that's always my briefing. You know, if we decide that an emergency evacuation is necessary, just grab the QRH back page and just start running that checklist. Yeah, I mean, you get one little thing out of uh, sync, like uh, the, you had to turn the batteries off. If you forgot to make a radio call telling air traffic you're evacuating, turn the batteries off force, you didn't have any radio left. Yeah. To, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it was very important to get everything in the right order. Gail makes a very good point. Step one, stop screaming. <laughs> oh, wait, that's for me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So a lot of mistakes made there. Um, but, you know, a lot of things happen very, very quickly. But I still would love to, uh, maybe in the final report um, language that I did not read, maybe they go into a little bit more detail regarding that. The anom- an anomaly detected with the fuel quantity indication, the fuel tank configuration. 20 minutes before pushback. Yeah, that would have been a good, a good pickup from the crew if they'd sussed that. Right. Why is this Why is this weird? Um, yeah. Well, and finally, I think this is the most distressing item in our news um, notebook today. How dry I am. <laughs> How dry I'll be. Oh, nope. I guess I know a different version. <laughs> so, is is that you playing the trumpet, Jeff? Yeah, no, of course, so, <laughs> that's yeah. a trombone, actually. Um, so, um, and then that one—I think that was Evan Shu. I think he plays the trombone um, in, down in Australia. This is from CNN. Alcohol sales may have boomed during our lockdown, but our return to air travel will be an altogether more sobering experience. (laughs) I get it. Sobering. Airlines, including EasyJet and KLM in Europe, uh, Delta Airlines and American Airlines in the United States and Asia's Virgin Australia are suspending all or part of their alcoholic drink service in response to COVID-19. It's part of a widespread revision of the industry's food and drink service to minimize interaction between crew and passengers and to ensure a safer journey for all. With face masks already mandatory on pretty much all flights around the world and new legislation introduced in January 2020 to curb antisocial behavior on flights, it's another in a line of barriers, literal and legal, to get to getting high in the sky. Wow, who is the person that wrote this? I, I don't see the uh, byline. I'd like to smack him. Anyway, um, very, very clever, I, I should say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very clever writing. Um, British low-cost airline EasyJet resumed domestic routes across the UK and France on June 15th. Huh? June 15th. Oh, that was just two days ago. Okay. And alongside a handful of international routes, while customers can bring food and non-alcoholic drinks on board. At the beginning, the only refreshments on offer will be water, which has been requested from the crew. Food service will resume gradually in coming months. So uh, it looks like some of the international operations for both the uh, UK, European, and US airlines uh, are not going to be completely alcohol-free, but they're they're limiting it as much as they can. So that's uh, sad for those of us who enjoy uh, an alcoholic beverage when we're not working, of course, if we're just uh, traveling uh, as uh, passengers in the back. It's kind of nice to have a little champagne or wine or beer or all the above. Yes, it certainly is. I mean, I can understand why they're doing it. Uh, yeah. The more times you have to take your mask off, uh, the more 
likely you are to spread something if you're uh, contaminated, if you're harboring the virus. Uh, but it's uh, it's going to be a while before we get back to the old days, I'm sure. Well, Carl in our <laughs> chat room makes a very good point. I'm pretty sure access to alcohol is in the passenger bill of rights. Am I right? <laughs> I think you are, Carl. We need to we need to start a movement. <laughs> and uh, yeah. as as Nick and I always like to say, movements are good. Exactly <laughs> so, right. Yeah, if you, especially when you get, get to be a good our one. Age. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, and, we're not uh, that old. And now I'm no longer actually um, earning money doing this job. Uh, I think having alcohol on airplanes is a great idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a better one. Uh, and I'm not even imbibed. Are you drinking alcohol right now, sir? Well, I, I have, in fact, got my old curmudgeon, uh, the, the big, that beautiful. Oh, very, very uh, nice. Big, um, there we go. That's the one. Yeah, uh, and I have I made myself a beautiful uh, frozen banana milkshake, Ooh. and uh, I thought there's something missing, so I chucked some vodka oh, cool. in. It's quite nice now. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. It's a coffee banana vodka milkshake. Well, that uh, cocktail, cocktail. Ooh, I like it. Uh, I'm going to have to try one of those one of these days. So, well, that is the, I think the most Need appropriate. Yeah, I do. Uh, that's the most uh, appropriate way, I think, to end our news segment and slide right on into the getting to know you part of the show. Thank you, Liz, for putting that overlay up. There's the gang. Only two of us here so far, still. Yep. Top right corner. Yep. Okay. Uh, let me move over here to... Not a lot going on. Um with me over here in uh, Roswell, Georgia, hunkered down in the uh, APG HQ. Um, haven't been on any trips, obviously, because the airplane that I fly and Dana flies is, uh, is has been retired. So uh, no flying for us. I uh, did, I think, from the since the last show, I believe the news for both Dana and I are that or. The news is that we have been assigned an, uh, kind of an idea of when we are going to be going to training. I'm not sure exactly with Dana because he wasn't on the same document that my name was listed. And I think it's because he is being converted and probably trained within the next month or two, I would imagine. I'm not sure if he's if he's received a, um, a date, a, a firm date yet for uh, learning how to fly the 737. Um, but, uh, I can tell you that mine says for me to expect, uh, training in October for the 717 and right. conversion June, in July, November. August, September, oh, you've got four months off. I got a lot of, uh, a lot of quarantining <laughs> to do. And, uh, so I think what I'm going to wow. do is maybe like, uh, spend a couple of weeks up in uh, Toronto quarantining with Liz and then maybe a couple of weeks, uh, in the UK, um, oh, yeah. quarantining Weather's with you over there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Steph. Hi, oh, Steph. Hi. Right. Let's see. Let me find the little thing for you here. <laughs> That's what she said. All right. From her lakeside home in the Carolinas, Dr. Skydiver, Marathon Runner, Strength Training Junkie, IPA Connoisseur, and Commercial Multi-Engine Instrument Rated Pilot, she's Dr. Steph. Hello. Hey. How's it going, Captain Jeff? Finally made it. Sorry for the confusion. I forgot we were going to um, kind of have stay a show. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I knew we were having a show. Just 
you know, we had this whole like production meeting last week after the show and we decided how we were going to time things and then we all promptly forgot. Yeah. yeah. I think the only one that really knows too. is is Liz. <laughs> she has to remind us. You you do remember now, Jeff, that there's a show today, right? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I didn't when? Look at the actual time that was listed on the calendar. The I just yeah. knew I was going to be here at like 4 o'clock. Uh, Liz, make a note. Um, special notifications go out to um, to Dr. Steph the day of the show. Specifically. Specifically time. <laughs> So how was uh, how's work going for you? Um, it's it's weird to be honest. Um, my schedule looks full on paper, and then like a quarter of the people show up. So ah. that's not great. Um, I'd like to be busier than that usually, even with everything that's going on now. But I really think it's still just a combination of um, you know, where I am, the area I'm in is kind of back in the news for cases going up of uh, COVID coronavirus, and I think. We've, we actually heard from some patients saying, hey, you know, I'm just not willing to go out right now, so we might need to change back to more telemedicine stuff. I'm not sure. Are the cases going up or hospitalizations going up? Cases. Okay. And isn't but, uh, that, that, that part that of, of like being with... more, more testing and stuff? No, not necessarily. No? Oh, okay. No. But with more cases usually means more hospitalizations, more people who are acutely ill with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, so, so things are not too busy. Things are a little slow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was good this morning. We have a new, um, nurse practitioner who's mostly going to be working with me in the office. So we had a lot of time to, uh, just do some, some learning stuff, just go over a whole bunch of, uh, the stuff that's really kind of boring. So billing, coding, documentation, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But it was good. We needed time to sit down and do that. And we had that time this morning. All right. Any um, any flying at all since the last show? Yeah, since the last show. When did we do the last show? Last Wednesday? I think so. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, a week ago. Yeah, about a week ago, approximately. About a week ago. Yeah, I went, I, I did, so I've officially started working on my tailwheel endorsement. Ooh. Not that that'll take too long to do, I hope not, but um, I did an hour in a Cetabria and an hour in a Cub on a little grass strip, and that was a lot of fun. Very nice. How are you coping with the swing? Yeah, oh, so far, okay. Good, good. <laughs> Favorable wind days, so it's good. No, no, yeah. incredibly difficult crosswind landing. No, yet. no, not not yet. No. We have not not no, gotten no that far yet. No taxiing hiccups. No taxiing hiccups so far. Right, Taxi excellent. like a good job. The old like ground loop. Ninety-year-old grandmother. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, very slowly. No, no. What's well, good? Well, yeah. Maybe you can teach it's... me a thing or two about flying a tailwheel. I've never. I'm definitely done not it. there yet. We'll give it a little more time. <laughs> All right. Well, it was a few years ago, but I, the chipmunk I uh, used to fly had a, has a tailwheel. Back, so. back in World War One. Uh, yeah, at least uh, my <laughs> Boer War. I think it might have been actually. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, he's not that much older than I am. So when I make these old people jokes, I'm really poking fun at myself as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just happen to look it now. Don't you think? No, oh, look old. Johnny, you are well, it might be that youngsters. It might have something to do with that huge beard that you're sporting. I <laughs> yeah. said beard. It's um, becoming quite a beard, yes. Yeah. Anything else uh, interesting in your life, Steph, other than the, which is really interesting, the the tailwheel uh, yep, thing? Yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, um, yeah. you know, we talk about stick and rudder flying and mm-hmm. jumping that cub that doesn't even have a starter, so you got to hand prop the thing. And, Ooh, boy. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Don't do what the was was it a Cirrus that we were uh, seeing video of? Oh, don't uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, uh, these are a little more docile than that too, though. <laughs> so, uh, 
unfortunately. And Actually, the Cubs are lovely little airplane. I think it's brilliant. It really is. It's very, it's very elegant and simple and fun to fly. And popular. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really aerobatic, is it? The Cub, no. The Satabria, yeah. yes, a little right. bit. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's next on the list. Yeah, that like that'll be fun. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if you hear something that sounds like thunder uh, in the background, well, it's not oh. thunder. It's my stomach. Uh, oh. I, I didn't. Eat. Did you want to get some food? Jeff? I'm going to get some food after the show. So okay. just bear with me. Hopefully, it won't make too much noise. I've got M and M's in the freezer. Oh, thank. I can yeah, pass them help. to you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, got them. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. Nice. Nice catch. <laughs> All right. Uh, I was listening to the audio. I was like, what is happening right now? Yeah. What are they doing? Um, We have the same question. Uh, (laughs) So I was mentioning that I did learn that I'm scheduled to start my training. Again, this is just a guess, but uh, they're thinking October. So I have some time off. So um, that'll that'll be interesting. It is June 17th. It is. Yeah. I have a, a couple of months to just play, I guess. And uh, I mean, work, work hard. And, uh, let's see, that's it, um, going on with me. Um, I did want to mention or remind people again, let's see, it's the 17th. So hopefully this will be out before the actual armchair air show, uh, aeroability.com. Uh, it'll be in the show notes, the armchair air show 2020, um, which you can uh, watch on YouTube will be happening. I guess uh, we figured out that was Saturday, right? That the, um, the day of that, I believe. No, wait yes. a minute. Now I'm confused. Something like that. Yeah. Well, it's in the show notes if you want to check it out. And um, also, we were talking about eyebrow windows. Um, and I believe Dana said something about the 737 and eyebrow windows. And Lieutenant Colonel Daddy 71 uh, on the YouTube uh, left a YouTube comment and he goes, uh, and he flies for an airline that flies exclusively 737. the 737. And he said, 73s do not have eyebrow windows. They have been gone since the new generation, the NG series. So relax, LOL. <laughs> so thank you, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Daddy. I will tell Dana that he can relax. Yeah. Doesn't have to worry. That was about one of those them. ones I was trying to remember. I'm like, I know I've seen them on seven threes, but mm-hmm. not recently. I guess oh, the was older she ones. Worried about getting sunburned or something? I don't know what. Uh, I'm not sure what people are so worried about when it comes to eyebrow windows. I've I've always liked them, but I'm old school, so you know, no help for me. You old guys. I know. Yeah. Oh wait, old school. Well, the older you get, the bigger your eyebrows get, so you probably need a whole window for them. Exactly. Yeah. That's I guess true. You used to have a swim coach who could pull his eyebrows down over his I just trimmed eyeball. my eyebrows, so I, I don't need any windows for him. Uh, yeah, so as uh, Masha said earlier, okay, boomer. So <laughs> there we go. Um, and that really is all I have. I've been doing, uh, been walking every day about, six, seven miles or so and trying to get the, uh, what do they call it? The pandemic pounds off. And, Is that what they're, uh, they're calling them now? I, I heard that pounds? on the radio earlier today. Pandemic pounds. Oh my God. Like <laughs> so, freshman ooh. 15. What are they called if you measure your weight in kilos then? Oh. Kilo, mm. kilo. Uh, COVID kilos. Oh. COVID kilos. Oh, I like it. Well done. Or uh, COVID carbs. Uh, COVID Liz carbs. is saying from the control <laughs> room. <laughs> like Very COVID good. Key. COVID kilos. Yeah. Anyway, um, Captain Nick, how about yourself, sir? Uh, other than the COVID carbs and the COVID kilos, what's going on? 
Uh, nothing. So I'll tell you what, in future weeks, you can just skip <laughs> just me. Skip Don't worry you. about it. Yeah, but uh, somebody's going to go, well, if you, you have something, you? if you have something to say, just, you know, just let us know. Yeah, I'll just put my hand up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do know tomorrow is a bit of a special day, uh, June the 18th. Uh, and this year I managed to remember my anniversary. So that's oh, a good, good start. <laughs> Um, uh, and it's a great. Is this the wedding anniversary you're speaking uh, of? Yeah, wedding anniversary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, it's a good number this year. Uh, the number of my first fighter squadron, forty-three. So, uh, yeah, forty-three years this year. So we're which, hanging on in there. Yeah. Which anniversary is that? Like, like the one between the forty-second oh, and the forty-fourth. <laughs> I'm hoping it doesn't have anything attached to it because I certainly haven't bought the thing appropriate. <laughs> your gift is yourself. You say 43, 43. Oh, she's, she's looking it up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for you. We'll make you look yeah, really good. Right. Um, I can't deliver that quickly. <laughs> well, there is no anniversary symbol for 43rd. Oh, you're yeah. off the hook. You're, you're off the hook. Well, Yay. Uh, the squadron symbol was a cockerel. So I could get her a cock. <laughs> well, okay. That, a special I haven't played this indeed. in a while. A fighting cock. Uh, family show. <laughs> family show. Uh, or okay. not. Wow. Should we move on? Oh, yeah, I have probably. another sound effect that I will not play. I promise you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but we all know what it is. I know what it is. In this context, I prefer you not play it. <laughs> yes. I will. Yeah, it would. A yeah, little, a little connotation, little context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be good. Yeah. All right. Um, and let's see. We're we're going to find out about um, Rick and uh, Dana, but neither of them are, are here today. So um, we're going to just move on then with the coffee fund, unless there's anything else to discuss before we move on to the feedback. I might be able to get some a lot of feedback accomplished today. So let me do this first here. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. It is the time to talk about our fantastic folks who give us contributions, financial contributions to the Coffee Fund, the Coffee Fund Cadre, the Coffee Bar Club. And since the last episode, we have William Walton uh, using the classic fund contribution method. And we also have some folks who have become patrons of the show via patreon.com. And we have a new producer, Reed. He prefers to leave his last name out of it so that nobody can identify him with this show. Can you blame him? Also, uh, Kylie Barron up in the Chicago area. Kylie, thank you. She is a new executive producer of the show, so we do appreciate that. And uh, by the way, we are going to uh, start cranking up those um, contributions again from our patrons uh, starting, starting this month of June. Hope you enjoyed the couple months off. And uh, if you want to learn more about how you can become a contributor via the coffee fund, head over to the airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee page and all the information is there. 
Captain. Incoming message. All right. Let's start off with uh, some audio feedback. Um, this was actually left on Facebook, and I actually looked at my Facebook page and the Airline Pilot Guide page on Facebook uh, earlier today and noticed that uh, Soren Orskov Nielsen left some audio feedback on the Facebook page. And uh, so I'll let him explain what, why he's leaving me this audio. Hello, guys. My name is Soren Nielsen. I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, so, Jeff, your surname is Nilsson. Let's pick up some Danish words. Okay. okay. You ready for that? Yeah. Yes, I thought so. All right. Let's say, if you want to say, how do you do in Danish? Then you actually say this. How do you do? Was that difficult? Yes. Try again, maybe. Okay. Hvordan går det? Hvordan går det? more easy? Well... I reckon no. not. No. Danish is actually quite a hard language to learn for foreigners, but uh, give it a go. Thank you in advance. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, you know what? I could I could quarantine myself in Copenhagen. You could, but the yeah. phrase you really need is to iltak min ven betaler. Okay, I'll practice that one too. Is that two beers, please? Yep. Two beers. Yeah. This is my friend. He has the money. <laughs> He'll pay. Please, <laughs> my friend will pay. My friend will pay. Yeah. So Soren Nielsen, spelled the same way, N-I-E-L-S-E-N, says, I'm a school teacher in Danish history and gymnastics. He has a second job as a freelance social media, or he does freelance social media for a Danish airline called Nordic Seaplanes. We run a seaplane business route between Copenhagen and Aarhus as well as plural sightseeing tours over the same cities and charters to Skagen and or Skagen, not sure, uh, and some small Danish islands. The seaplane is a twin otter, DHC-6-300. What is it Dana calls that? A twatter? It's twatter. twatter. Yeah. yeah. And one of the owners, Lars Eric Nielsen, E-R-I-K, the same as my nephew in, in Southern California, uh, Eric Nielsen, did actually start the Moldovian air taxi company in the Maldives. Maldivian. 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 Air taxi company in the Maldives uh, in 1992. The company was later sold to Blackstone and renamed TMA, which is Trans Maldivian Divian Airways. Wow, butchered that Just one. Just start up, with we? Maldivian. Maldivian. Trans Maldivian Airways. Okay. That sounds like the job for us all to retire to. I like it. Fly, flying around the Maldives. That'd be fabulous. I um spent uh, I've spent a little bit of time in my life uh in a island chain south of the Maldives. In the Indian Ocean, um, Diego Garcia, the archipelago there. And it's I tell you, it's a beautiful place. I've never been to the Maldives myself. I've seen a lot of uh, tourist photos of it, and it looks like a really nice place to uh, retire, Nick. Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, particularly if you like a bit of scuba diving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Soren, for uh, the uh, lesson. I guess he's going to have to send me some more um, phrases so that I can start trying to pick up some Danish girls. Uh, Ivor has his own theme music. 
The Adventures of Ivor and Tarquin. However, this case, it's just Ivor. Dear Pilot People, I see you are attempting to throw together uh, one of your podcast things on the 17th of June. I can understand why you would attempt this, but on June 17th? I've not received a letter requesting permission to bother the populace. This is necessary, as this is a very special day, like the Queen's official birthday, only it's my actual birthday. As you can imagine, most of the UK comes grinding to a halt to salute my general greatness and my obvious popularity. And now, as you chaps and ladies are in another country, perhaps a less respectful country, I will excuse your oversight. Please carry on potting or casting, or is it podcasting? Yeah, that's it, podcasting. Bravo to you all. After all, you're keeping the world on level footing. So feel no guilt, as I love you all. Well, most of you. Chemtrails, ahoy. Ivor. <laughs> Happy birthday, Ivor. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Not sure how, your, uh, how we let your message through, though. Yeah, yes. well, uh, you're picking up your old age pension yet? I think he must be, surely. Now, he's just living right over the the Welsh border. Is that correct? That's where he is. Uh, you mean, no, I didn't so. mean just right over the, I mean, it's well, another country. It's it's like, you know. But it's but it's not far from the, the yeah, English it, border, I think. It's 200 years away. Oh, well, know? if you're speaking of time, then perhaps you're right. <laughs> it's probably the actual physical distance between, yeah, I was like, thinking physical know, distance. Charlotte oh, and Atlanta, right. Jeff. Yeah. You okay. Know. Well, I know, but, but I mean, I think I actually looked it up on a on a map, and it's literally within just a couple of miles over the uh, the English couple border. A couple of inches, yeah. Yeah, or very, yeah. On, on my map, it was just like this. Yeah, Very no close. distance mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy to, birthday you. to you. Happy birthday, dear happy Ivor. Birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to, to you. you. And I'm not going to attempt to try to sync all that up in post. Sorry. I wouldn't. Well, <laughs> <laughs> fun that way. Yeah. All right. Item three, Stanley. I was listening to episode... Four two six on my way home from the Sling Pilot Academy, stopping to pick up some IPA when I heard you all discussing the Sling. Listener Mike from South Africa flies a Sling 4. The airplane factory, a South African company, has its North American headquarters at Zamperini Airfield in Torrance, California. Ooh, I love that word zamperini that sounds like a flying circus or something did he have- I actually was thinking it, like i just glanced at it i thought it said zamboni at first oh, zamboni like, is a totally queens different of the ice different <laughs> different machine different yeah. different thing uh this is also home to the sling pilot academy which uh i like to refer to it as the uh the spa the spa uh, yeah spa which offers an accelerated professional pilot course utilizing Sling 2 light sport airplanes. They also have a couple of twin-engine Technums for multi-engine training. Is the Sling the one that you were flying, um, Steph? Me? No. No, okay. What was that one you were flying, the light sport that you were flying? Oh, you're talking about the, um, oh my God, too many airplane names in my head at the moment. Um, Okay. The, 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 The Zamboni. Okay. That's where, um, my, that's where my mind is. Oh, the pipistrel. Oh, that's right. Pipistrel. Uh, yeah. Uh, since enrolling in November, I've earned a my private pilot certificate. I'm going for my instrument check ride June 1st and expect to have my commercial certificate, CFII, and multi-engine ratings and certifications completed later this summer. Well, that's cool. 
going full full force there. I started my training in mostly older Cessnas and Pipers, and I think the six-pack experience is very familiar aircraft. Wait, in very familiar aircraft was great. In contrast, however, flying the brand new glass panel full view canopy sling has been a blast. It's a very fun and responsive plane, and we train next to LAX Class B airspace flying over the beautiful Southern California coast. We have students from around the country and indeed around the world, and I would urge listeners considering a flight school to look up Sling Pilot Academy. Thanks for putting together such an entertaining and informative podcast on a consistent basis all these years. I've been listening for the last or the, for the past year, and it makes my long commute to school and work something to look forward to. And again, this is from Stanley Call, 43-year-old former high school teacher and electrician, currently working towards being a CF double I. We need more great CF double I's out there. So Stanley, keep going, man. That's that's great. Um, and, uh, he also sent a, uh, link to a video on YouTube, uh, flying over thousands of park airplanes and cruise ships. Anyway, it's a video produced by one of our newest students from his first flight. If you don't want to watch the whole thing, there's a 45 second intro edit at the beginning. Rock and roll time. Do you like to go low? Let's see how low you can go. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're below the water almost. Whoa! I mean, the amount of money sitting there is, is just crazy. You're flying, sir. You're flying. Yeah. Whoa, wow. That's way turbulent. Oh, you're going to die. No, we're not. Wow, so there's all the passenger ships sitting right there. Look at that. Just coming over to LAX at 4,000 feet. Well, John, I just got to tell you a secret now. All right, that was from, uh, I guess, samchewy.com or his YouTube channel. Uh, very cool. Um, That's so a nice looking airplane, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, there was obviously the the little light aircraft. I think what's that was also one? a sling. I think they make a um, twin. All right. So you said okay. there was the uh, yeah the sling two is the light sport aircraft, and then they also have a couple of twin engine tech dumps. So ah, it might have been there that. Goes. That, that was uh, what the other the one was. P two zero zero no six. T? I don't know. Yeah, it, that's what it is. Okay. Technum. Yeah. He also sent in for TSI flying in formation with a sling trainer and a twin engine. Yeah. Technum P2016. I should probably share these as well. He sent us some photos. All right. So that is the um, inside of the sling trainer. And I believe the next one is the outside of the uh, sling trainer with the sling oh, pilot. The Academy. Pardon me? Oh, said so one was the inside, one was the outside? Yeah. Said, yeah. Which I, is which? Hopefully. Well, I think clear. this is the outside. <laughs> I'm thinking. I don't know, but it's been a while since I've flown an airplane, so I might be yeah, wrong. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. <laughs> Smart Alex. All right. Um, so thank you, Stanley, for sending in the photos. And I did, in that, in that uh, video, I did recognize uh, some of the uh, landmarks that uh, – Folks were flying over, including the Queen Mary. That was just a quick shot of the Queen Mary docked in the Long Beach Harbor. 
very cool uh, attraction for people to the original Queen Mary, not the Queen Mary two. Anywho, thank you, Stanley, for the feedback. And check it out if you're in Southern California and you're looking for some a good place to go learn how to be a private pilot and more. Uh, item number four, Ralph sends us a um, link to an article from CNN. Uh, German flight to Italy turned away because the airport was still closed. Uh, the article starts off by saying, We're all excited about being able to travel again, but German airline Eurowings might be more eager than most. The low-cost carrier resumed services from Dusseldorf to Sardinia, Italy on Saturday. And this was actually published on the 26th of May. But was forced to turn around at its destination because Olbia Airport is still closed. Flight 9844 set off on the 1170-kilometer flight to Sardinia's Olbia Airport on the morning of May 23rd, but, uh, but was in Sardinian airspace before being informed by air traffic control that it wasn't open to commercial traffic. Oops. The Airbus A320 hung around for a while in a holding pattern, hoping for permission to land, but uh, no dice. A diversion was proposed to Cagliari, some 190 kilometers away, reports Italian newspaper Corriere della Sera. Oh, mm, mm. Nope. <laughs> no. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but the flight crew opted to cut its losses and head back to Dusseldorf. This little sightseeing tour of Western Europe for the benefit of the A320's load of two Sardinian passengers. <laughs> they had two passengers. <laughs> apparently. Well, two Sardinian passengers, and were there any others? I don't think so. I think uh -huh. it was just two passengers. It took a total of four hours and ten minutes. So how did this misunderstanding happen? A Eurowings spokesperson told CNN Travel that, quote, against the background of the coronavirus crisis, the situation at numerous airports in Europe is very dynamic. And the phones don't work, so we couldn't call them. <laughs> and notums and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, no yeah. one bothers to update those things. Yeah. Um, everyone's working from home. I mean. Well, the large amount of stuff, the large amount of information provided on operating hours or airport closures are often changed at short notice. Not in this case, of course. Uh, um, and uh, there sure. are daily changes and entry regulations in the various countries. Honest, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think it was their fault. Yeah, they're pointing fingers at each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, Ralph says, whose responsibility is this? And uh, so uh, I think what he's getting at is, uh, is it the fault of the pilots for not knowing that the airport was closed? Or was it perhaps uh, if Eurowings has the same kind of system that we have where we have dispatchers that kind of plan the flight for us and kind of look at those types of things? And I'd say probably all the above. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you it know, if they, if they were really changing their mind about whether the airport was open or closed on that frequent of a basis or that quick of a basis. And, you know, how do you know if the information that you have is old, if it's only, I don't know, say it was from the day before or a couple mm -hmm. hours before. Yeah. Or they're honestly and checking all that opening and closing like multiple times during the day or maybe every other day or whatever. Um, and if they were really closed that whole time, then it's on the pilots and dispatchers. Yeah. So um, I think, uh, well, I know here in the U S uh, in this case, it would be a 50, 50 thing. You know, we're, we are jointly responsible 
I'm going to blame Italy's Ministry of Infrastructure and Transportation. Okay, very good. They said that the uh, airport was opening on Sunday, May the 17th, uh-huh. but that decision was overruled the same day at a regional level. Uh-oh. No. So the regional bit. I don't know what you call the regional one. I don't know. But maybe, yeah, maybe it wasn't communicated properly or well. Uh, well, if you're end. getting mixed information, too. If the country Mixed says messages, yeah, we yeah, have, yeah, all the, have those. If the official transportation ministry says, "Hey, they're going to be open," that sounds pretty official. Yeah. But then the That's, more local province or state or whatever they are in Italy, I'm sorry, I don't know, says, "Nah," or even the city or airport authority, then. And apparently, the uh, pilots weren't persuasive in communicating with air traffic control to get somebody to get the key and open up the airport for them. Well, <laughs> they couldn't just say, hey, look, we got two Sardinian passengers yeah, here. They really want to go home. Come on. Yeah. We'd, if we'd really like been, to just leave them here and then get out. Like, we're not staying. If it was a Welsh uh, Royal, Royal Air Force base, he, they could have just landed and gone to the beach. <laughs> gone to the beach? <laughs> and then, and then said, I'm leaving. I don't care what you say. I'm leaving <laughs> right, right now. Try and stop me. <laughs> try and stop yeah. me. Yeah. 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 Just shrug your shoulders and go... Ciao, yeah. bene. Uh. <laughs> How do you say sorry? So no, sorry. Arrivederci. Oh, man. All right. Well, thank you, Ralph. Um, I'm not sure we correctly answered that or not, but that was our best shot. <laughs> it was an interesting story. Uh, let's skip number six. Uh, this is from Darren. Darren Nolan. I'm a lover of all things aviation. Unfortunately, I missed my calling to be a pilot, but did become a dispatcher for a large private jet charter company, planning all aspects of large international charters for aircraft like the G550s, Globals, and other expensive toys. I recently found your podcast. Feel like I've gotten to know all of you. Yeah, because we have a segment called Getting to Know You. And of course, if you're just watching the podcast, you get to know us too, right? Um, In the recent podcast with the farewell of Captain Nick's father, it seems I must have gotten some dust in my eyes or something because they got all watery. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of dusty over here too. (laughs) A strange phenomenon while listening to that piece. Mm -hmm. I have a pathological obsession with the 747 in particular. A few months before United retired their 747, I got to fly on one from Heathrow to San Francisco, which may have been my last time ever flying on one. I totally dorked, dorked out, and it says dorked hour. I totally dorked out and wore a Boeing t-shirt with a 747 baseball cap. The flight attendant saw me and asked if I'd like to visit the cockpit. The captain let me sit in the captain's seat and gave me some memorable uh, memorabilia like plastic wings and some cool info on the 747. He proceeded to tell me they normally give that stuff for kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> of your, your childlike wonder. Yeah, we normally give this to kids, but your childlike here. curiosity and fascination. Yeah, but if I give it, will you get off my flight day? <laughs> <laughs> if I if you promise to leave, we, I'm going to give you this. <laughs> you can have some. Yeah. <laughs> he even took a picture of me and his seat. As we, I'm, I'm assuming he means the captain's seat and not his actual seat. 
Um, <laughs> as we made our approach into San Francisco, SFO, it was a beautiful sunny day and I became emotional flying over Marin County, over the Golden Gate, over downtown San Francisco. It was such a wonderful experience. I love oh, listening great. to you all and feel a part of the community. Great. That's what we want. Um, and uh, our, our community is the best. Best wishes to you all, and I really hope you all make it through this difficult time. Oh, yeah, we're going to make it. Thank you, oh, Darren. Nice story, Darren. Yeah. Yeah, great pictures, too. Yeah, he sent in some pictures. I will not share them because it's not easy for me to do. It takes me a long time, but uh, um, great. Uh, you know what? No, I'm going to do it because I, you need to see this, uh, you folks watching the video. So um, here we go. Application window. We're going to go boom right here and share and should be there now. And let me double click on this one and then we can just see the photos themselves. And that's him looking out the window. And uh, that's what he's looking at, that left wing of that big old jet airliner. And there's oh, a picture of the it. bridge down there. Golden Gate Bridge is underneath that wing. You oh, probably yeah. can't see it. But, no. Uh, Mm -hmm. yep. um, here's a great picture of him in front of the window and uh, the United 747 in the background, him all dorked out in his Boeing <laughs> shirt and 747 cap. I love it. Looks great. Great. Uh, too bad Miami Rick isn't here. He'd be dorking out with you, man. Mm -hmm. uh, there he is sitting in the captain's seat. And uh, again, another view of the left wing uh, over some nice overcast skies. So beautiful. Great to have you with the community, Darren. Those two wingtips are different colors. Huh. Oh, yeah. One mm -hmm. had uh, blue and one's Interesting. White. Must have been two different flights then. Might have been two different flights, yeah. All right. We look forward to hearing more from you, Darren. Okay, item seven from Captain Peter. Hey, Cap Jeff, recently discovered your podcast and now YouTube channel and enjoying your laid back style in these fast and troubled times. Regarding episode 427, I understand your pain. I've never flown the MD. However, I did fly the DC-9-30 and I still consider this aircraft to be my favorite of all. It was an airplane you jumped in and strapped on. You felt part of the machine and no airplane since has been so simple and robust to fly. It was built like the proverbial, br pro proverbial brick uh, crap house. Nothing <laughs> like its more modern replacements. I have since flown the 727-200, the 747-200-300-400-8, and the A330 and A340-300, and then he put in parentheses probably to put some kind of a uh, emoticon or something that um, – perhaps expresses his disdain for that particular jet. I'm not sure. Uh, wasn't the 300 the underpowered version of the 340, Nick? Uh, yeah, it didn't have quite as powerful engines. Mind yeah. you, the, the C4 engines on that version were fine. If oh, okay. he had C2s, he probably would have noticed. Okay, so I'm not sure why he put the uh, parentheses in there, but um, anyway. And presently, the 777-300-300ER. Wow, quite a... Quite a, a number resume? of great, yeah, mm -hmm. quite a resume. Thank you. I, I like Dana, he says. Well, we do too. Oh, no, mm -hmm. I, comma, like Dana, may have had my last flight on type without knowing it, as my version of Acme Airlines have asked for volunteers to go back to the 747 to fly freight, and I put my hand up, thinking that 
passenger flying internationally will not be much fun for quite a while. Also, I miss the old girl. And Anchorage. He misses Anchorage. We now operate the 747-400 ERF, the uh, best of all the series, so this will be my second favorite, and the Dash 8F. Good also. However, Boeing tried too hard to make it a Dash 400. Yeah, they did something with the software and flight control systems to try to make it feel like the 747-400, I guess. I think Rick was talking about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Anywho, keep up the great work with the show. I hope you and Dana have a successful outcome to your enforced lifestyle change. Always blue side up, Captain Peter. I'm not sure I know which one of the Acme's he flies for. Do you guys have any ideas? I was trying to decide, and I don't. I don't know. Now, a clue might be that he has um, used words such as favorite. He's favorite them and aeroplane, an aeroplane, and not airplane. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's not flying for a U.S. carrier. But yeah. I, that would be would a guess. All those types have been on the same airline. Oh, well, I don't know. That's a good point. I. I assumed that they were, but perhaps not. Maybe he flies. He flew them for several different airlines. Well, yeah, it's got passenger side and freight side. Mm-hmm. Apparently, well, there are some European airlines where they might have that combination. But mm-hmm. you know what? Some Asian ones as well. I think that um, there's a German airline that uh, I believe has oh, flown all those. Hmm? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll find he'll, he'll give us some more clues in the future. Maybe yeah. don't tell us outright. Make us guess it for a while. Yeah, make us work for it. What's so nice about Anchorage? Anchorage is great. It's what, cold. Yeah, what? Why? It's tiny. It's it's there's uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful place for. I think it's a brunch restaurant called the Alaskan Alaskan Bush Company. Um and um, oh wait a minute, no, that's that's something entirely different. Never mind. <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> <say>. <laughs> Moving on. Let's see. It's time for Matt. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. So I don't. You know, it's beautiful. They, it's it's a beautiful they have place. Pet, pet beavers there. Pet beavers there. Pet beavers. Oh yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a few of those on floats <laughs> over at Lake Hood Seaplane. Yes, a lot of beavers there in Anchorage. Um, in the, in the water on floats. <sighs> okay, moving on. Wow, where, how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that was my fault. I think I'm sorry. Uh, item number eight, I think, uh, Frank, uh, writes, hi, APG crew was listening a couple of episodes back to Miami Rick and captain Jeff talk about how beautiful flying into Portland, Oregon was. It reminded me of this beautiful picture. I was lucky enough to snap just after an hour long nap and raising the window in the nick of time to catch Mount hood floating by on the clouds. My wife, and I were headed to Mount St. Helens to hike the volcano, then on to the coast. Of course, we dutifully flew out on Acme Airlines. Yay. Thank you. Thanks so much for the podcast. really enjoy what each of you bring to it. See Safe flying to all. Frank from Auburn, Alabama. War Eagle. All right. Let me see if I can share his photo. What do you think? There we go. Nice view of the Mount Hood there in the in the background, huh? Hello. Yeah, that's this thing uh, sorry, I was muted and I forgot <laughs> I was muted. Hello. Is this I I I've, that. I've seen a few mountains. Is that one like special? Because yeah, it's Mount Hood. It's just fairly dramatic 
You know, it kind of tends to poke up over the clouds like that often. And I'm sorry, Frank. Uh, Nick is not impressed with your photo. Well, I don't know. I sailed past Everest at, in the night. <laughs> Everest. What? Yeah. In the night? Could you Big even deal. see it? That one, the moon was up, and it sort of went past the window like this ghostly uh, mountaintop. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> I'll bet it was. What is it, what does it peak out at? Uh, 29,000 something. Not yeah. even 30,000? Not what quite. What mountain is that? <laughs> it's, it's shy by a couple hundred feet, I think. <laughs> All right. Moving on to wow. uh, item nine, Swansea Mark. Am I saying that right, Swansea? 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 Swansea. More of a Z sound? Swansea. Yes. Sound? Pretend there's a Z in there. Swansea. Okay, Swansea. Uh, hi, Jeff, Nick, Rick, Steph, Dana, and behind the scenes, Liz. Here in the UK, we will soon be needing to wear face masks on public transport, and I'm pretty sure on most flights. So how about asking those nice folks at Redbubble if they could make some APG-themed face masks? APG is the best. That's on in all caps there. The best podcast. Well, it's Ooh. the only one I listen to, as there are only 168 hours in the week. But I'm sure it's the best. I think you're right. Definitely. Uh, Thanks for keeping my spirits up during all the home do-it-yourself jobs I've been doing during lockdown. All the best to you all in your aircraft reallocations. May the mad dogs rest in peace. Swansea Mark, part-time cardiac guy at the Acme Aviation Authority. Oh, that's oh, right. There are a few people that would like to uh, keep in with him. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. If he's the cardiac guy at Acme Aviation Authority, Swansea Mark. I yeah, I think we've re we've received um, feedback from him oh, in the past about definitely. yeah about mm -hmm. being the cardiac guy at the mm -hmm. AAA, AAA. <laughs> it's like go. the FAA, but better. Yeah, because it's A, because A becomes comes before, comes before F. F. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Michelle or Michael, uh, M-I-C-H-E-L, uh, sent us this, and um, <laughs> I don't know if you watched this little video, but yeah. it's pretty funny. Um, hello, Captains Jeff, Nick, Dana, Rick, and Dr. Steph, and Ms. Liz. Uh, I had to send this link. Very funny. And this is from TikTok. Uh, one of the social media, the social media that we're not on and do not intend to no. be. It's a, it's a rabbit hole of stuff. Yeah. Don't go there yeah. if you okay. haven't already <laughs> or do if you've got a lot of time on your hands. So, yeah. um, uh, let's see, should I, should I try to play the, or should I just like click yeah, on it and try, to, try to play it like with the video as well? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Let me hear, let me, uh. But warning, there are a few rude words. How, how many switches do I need to turn on before he gets over there? Get off, mate. Off. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. Clear prop. <laughs> Ready? I can't do it, man. No, He's no, going to no. turn into it'll, a little feathers. Beep. Beep. Yeah, I guess I. I'll, I'll I'll clip that out at the very end. Of the end. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll put some sensor beeps in there. Yeah, that's uh, what kind of what kind of bird is that? It sounds like a pigeon of some sort. Yeah, well, it looks but it's like a magpie. But uh, yeah, what country is it? Sounds like Australia. 
Yeah, the magpies here got a bit of white on them. I would I would say it's a magpie, but yes. But I, I'm no expert. Liz said, I tried to warn you. Yeah, I know you did. I saw. I watched it already. Warning language. Uh, but you know, when you hang out ha- hang out with these folks on uh, the APG crew, you 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 hear that so much that you just don't even hear it anymore. <laughs> Until you're actually on the podcast. <laughs> Until you're on the like, podcast. Glaringly obvious. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so um, for those of you on the audio only, please click on the link again, be forewarned that there is a little bit of language at the end of it, uh, but uh, a very interesting view of a, a propeller with a bird of some sort perched on top of the prop. And uh, anyway. I'm not going anywhere. I'm pretty vocal yep. about it. Yep. Very vocal about it. All right. Item 11. We're making great progress here. Brian H. says, hello, Brian H. here. I have two topics that could stir a good discussion and educate us listeners. The first one is reference to this video showing a plane activating the reverse thrust prior to touching down. I remember hearing a similar story from an old timer pilot who used to fly Gulfstream G4s back in the 80s. I'm pretty sure I recall him telling me that they were able to open up the buckets in flight to use as speed brakes. I'm hoping you guys can discuss this. And then he sent us, well, the link, of course, to the YouTube video. And I will not play it. I'm going to give myself a break here. But um, I'll have the link to it in the show notes. And I'm trusting that, uh, well, I think Nick, uh, I know that Nick and I have watched this video. Steph, have you had a chance to look at this uh, landing in this Tupelo of 154. Um, I have not watched the whole thing, but the screenshot makes it clear what it is does. happening. It does. It's a good screenshot. Um, so it, it touches down and bounces a bit, if I recall. And then during the bounce is when the thrust reverse is well, activated. I'm just going to say, Jeff, I'm just watching it again. Yeah. I don't see a bounce. Oh. I, think he, I think he managed to get it. He floats. Oh, he's floating. But he gets them out before he touches his wheels. Now, do you think it's because he said, well, I need something to get this thing to drop out of the air and get on the runway? Or do you think that maybe he thought he was on the runway? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. He, he he gives it a bit of a yug to because uh-huh. uh, he, he looks like he's going to touch down and then he, and he balloons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he pops them and the airplane settles down. Mm. But uh I mean, it, yeah, it I looks nicely it. controlled. To mm-hmm. be fair, it's, uh, it's an actual the actual maneuver as flown is dangerous. But I'm just a bit concerned about reverses that deploy without some kind of a safety mechanism to prevent them deploying in flight. But if these this particular aircraft is cleared for reverse use in flight, then I suppose it's okay. I I think that there are a lot of airplanes out there that you can deploy the thrust reversers in flight and some, I, I think the 707 or maybe the DC eight, somebody was telling me, cause we were flying them in Acme, the DC eights. And I think that they said you could, you could um, extend the um, reversers. And I don't know if it was just two of them at a time or maybe only two of the engines had them. I'm not sure, but they said it, if you did, it was not comfortable at all. It was very, jarring very noisy made the airplane shake like it was coming apart but <laughs> they were designed to be uh, deployed in flight if you needed them uh, i guess wow. you'd really have to need them to uh, to do it um but and i'm pretty sure that 
some of the airplanes I've flown in the past, although my knowledge of the systems now is 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 fleeting, a fleeting memory uh, where you could actually deploy them. Um, but, you know, you have to, it's not like you could just accidentally hit a little button and they come out. Uh, you have to, you know, do some pretty physical things to, like on the uh, Mad Dog, you know, where you had the regular thrust um, or, or thrust levers or uh, what what does uh, Al prefer them to be called? Not thrust. Thrust. Uh, uh, he, he likes thrust. No, he likes thrust levers. <laughs> I was not actually throttles. look. Captain Al has actually trained me so well. I'm not even calling calling them throttles anymore. The uh, thrust I levers, uh, where you, you know, you'd have to actually you know lift up your hand and then grab the two other reverse thrust uh, handles uh, to activate them. So it would be, you know, you, you have to be deliberate to. Yeah actually operate them in flight um, i'm also going to say that you could only ever really have this kind of a system on uh, aircraft with engines on the fuselage um so that you're more or less in line thrust because if you had these out on the wings in pods and uh, they deployed deployed at the wrong time uh the, the airplane or just one deployed in flight mm -hmm. the airplane could swap ends it would be <laughs> really, well, really nasty. The DC-8 was um, wing-mounted engines, um, and really, and, yeah, I, I, I know. Mean, could do that. Yeah, there's a comment in the chat room, and I saw the comment actually uh, in the video for this, this YouTube video that the C-17 descends with some reverse thrust. Oh, they can probably use also? it as well. Wow, I, I'm we used to no be able expert to, on that. Uh, I'm just repeating. We used to be able to pre-select them in the tornado. Uh, and they got a bit uh, so that as soon as your your wheels touched, they would deploy. But mm -hmm. they, the authorities got a little bit upset with us because there's one bloke, because he just yeah, a bit of a cock up. He uh, he came down, he pre-selected them, and then uh, in short finals, he dropped a little low, uh, and so he put a whole hoof of uh, power on and pitched the nose up to try and compensate. And so when he hit the, the deck, his nose was way up and he had a real handful of power on. And then, of course, the reverse is deployed. And the airplane pitched down so hard, it just snapped the nose wheel off. Ooh. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> yeah, a bit embarrassing. But... Oops. Oopsie. <laughs> it stopped quickly. Yeah, I bet oh, yeah. it did. Definitely slowed that or decreased that landing roll. Oh, yeah, yeah. It stopped very quickly. And they didn't need the steps to climb out either. Yeah, yes. solved a couple Walked problems. Right <laughs> yeah, certainly you just stepped over. Created one big problem and yeah. resolved two yeah. little problems. Yeah. All right. He has another question here. The second topic is Rick's explanation about RAIM. Um, you want to leave this for Rick? Maybe we should. Unless you want I to dive into WAS oh, yeah. and non WAS and RNAV approaches. And Yeah, I can't answer this one. Uh, we need to have Rick here for this one. So, um, We'll make sure that we put item 11 back into the uh, feedback for our next show. So thank you, Brian. At least we were able to discuss the first topic that you uh, wrote to us about and uh, look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Ahmad writes, hello, dear APGers. Wish I had been online during this episode so that I could add, and I guess he's talking about episode 426. Uh, the 747 was once described as the place that used to go to Hawaii twice a day. <laughs> Not the plane, but the place. Um, this was back in the day when Pan Am had two daily flights to Hawaii from mainland USA. 
I confirm this from Boeing Commercial Aer- Airplanes Division of Boeing Company in a mail that they sent to me with a huge poster back when I was a kid that couldn't resist writing to them asking about how they used to do the awesome things that they do, making their great products. Cheers, Ahmad. Oh, that must have been a thrill as a, as a kid receiving a poster from the Boeing Company. And uh, Ahmad is, uh, I believe, in, um, in Nigeria. Um, I used to love doing that when I was a kid, right enough to uh, av- manufacturers and stuff and getting a whole uh, bunch of uh, brochures and, you know, badges and things. Mm-hmm. Great fun. It would have never occurred to me to do that as a kid. <laughs> so the only thing we had to do, like it was part of a school project, was to write to like the National Park System to get brochures about the National Parks. But it was the same kind of like fun and come in the mail. You'd be like, ooh, look. And big poster that you can unfold and like stickers and things. Now, do you think that the actual um, marketing was the place that used to go to Hawaii twice a day, or maybe he misspelled that it should be the, the plane that used to go to, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I'm, I'm, I had it in my mind that uh, uh, Air India had a flying palace. Uh, Mm -hmm. Remember they put, uh, their little um, paint marks over the windows to make them look like uh, the windows in a, an Indian palace. Uh-huh. But I, I'm looking now to see if I can find an advert, but I, I can't. It would be an old one. I think he was saying more that the 7, 7, 747 was more the destination than Hawaii actually was. Okay. All oh, right. Okay. Well, that was my take on it. Yeah, I'm doing but a I'm not quick search myself there. to see if... I can find that advertising slogan, uh, but I can't. Um, It says no results found for the place, but hmm. Well, Ahmad, uh, please follow up if you don't mind um, and let us know whether or not that that was exactly what they said, the place that used to go to Hawaii twice a day. I mean, that makes sense uh, from our perspective, but um, anyway, very good. Hope you're doing well. Um, Ramiro writes, greetings, APG crew. Welcome back. Miami Rick, the man, the myth, the legend. Where is he? He's not, he's not here with us yet. The plumber. The plumber. (laughs) (laughs) And not me. Yeah, not like literal, literal, like having to fix plumber. Plumber. Uh, when I started listening to APG almost three years ago, Rick was not on the show, but was often talked about. And most of the time, the crew had good things to say about him. <laughs> most of the time. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, if you're not here, you can't defend yourself. Occasionally. So. Yeah. I'm kidding, of course. As a matter of fact, uh, if Rick had not come back to the show, Jeff would have to rename the podcast because after the retirement of the coal burner, Rick is the only active flying airline pilot. <laughs> Ooh, it's true. That is true. At the at the moment, yeah. I do have a question, so I'll get to it. I don't see a lot of Airbus A330-200F freighters, at least not in the U.S. The big three cargo carriers don't have any in their fleet, and a quick search on the internet didn't turn up any or many A330-200Fs. Why do you think it has not been more popular with cargo outfits? It seems to me that it has roughly the same capacity as the 767-300 and being a newer aircraft should have better fuel economy, yet uh, UPS, FedEx, and Atlas have ignored this jet. 
Is it because Airbus pilots are too sophisticated to spend their time flying rubber dog poo out of Hong Kong? <laughs> yeah, that's that exactly the answer. That's, yeah. There you go. There's your answer. The airplane is much too sophisticated. It's too pretty. And, uh, you know, it's good. they have really nice bars in them as well. Those freight dogs wouldn't know what to do with one. Well, I don't know. It says, looking I, forward to hearing your thoughts on the A332F. I don't know anything well, about it. Do you, Steph? I happen to know for certain that Rick has very strong thoughts on this. Oh, yeah? Um, oh. Which I'm not going to paraphrase, but perhaps we should also say Okay, this here's one another for, one. Yeah. Liz, that we need I, have, I have no strong feelings one way or the other, quite honestly. But the old dog ear on this one, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, yeah. reassess at a later date. It, it'll, be a good, it'll be a good back and forth with Nick and Rick. Yeah, well, really? Yeah, you, you have me confused with someone who gives a <laughs> monkey. Uh, you'll have to defend Airbus's honor, I think. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is an interesting one, and I, I've even seen that this is item fourteen. Todd, the FAA warns of tail strikes and off-course flying by near-empty jets, um, and not necessarily. I don't think it really talked about off-course flying, uh, but uh, maybe not leveling off at the proper altitude. Yeah, missing, missing altitudes. Yeah. Assigned altitudes. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, has been addressed at Acme Airlines uh, at the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, we were flying airplanes with like, you know, just a handful of passengers, fewer than 10 on uh, the, some of those flights. And I flew um, in... March, April, and May, and steadily every trip, there were more and more passengers uh, toward the end there. Last flight on the uh, Mad Dog, I think we had the maximum because we deliberately limited the uh, the amount of passengers on our jets for social distancing reasons. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, the airplanes perform very, very well when they're empty. And uh, almost too well. And you have to kind of keep that in mind when you're flying and you have to think about things like tail strikes and, uh, thinking about altitudes and, you know, if the, the autopilot system is kind of designed to, you know, capture altitudes at, at normal weights and not, you know, like super, super light weights. And you have to kind of be aware when you're in the situation and it looks like the climb rate is going to be a challenge for your auto flight system to level off and so uh, and, and the other thing you had to uh, and i briefed this to my first officers that uh, when we were on these uh, departure procedures they often fly very close to airplanes coming in on the arrivals and sometimes it's only 1,000 or 2,000 feet of spacing vertical space and um, I, I basically said, let's, you know, if it looks like it's going to be an excessive climb rate, let's use a different mode for the uh, vertical navigation or, or hand flying, just, you know, pull the power back and re reduce the uh, rate of climb so that we don't set off somebody else's uh, TCAS system, traffic collision uh, avoidance system or alert system. Now I can't think of which one it is. Is it avoidance? I think avoidance um, system, TCAS. And uh, so... Yeah, these are things that you have to think about in these weird times when you're flying airplanes that are mostly empty. But I th again, I think now things are starting to return more to normal as far as the weights are concerned on the airplanes. But there are still issues out there like, uh, for instance, they showed a, a couple of uh, 
reports um, in recent days, actually in March, um, you know, from the uh, NASA um, Aviation Safety Reporting System, the ASRS, NASA ASRS Aviation Safety Reporting System. Okay, here are a couple from March. An airline captain landing at Pittsburgh International Airport complained that planes were parked all over one of the runways. That's true, uh, the center runway, 28 center. But it had not been marked as closed with lighted signs. So, you know, you've got to be careful out there for things like that. Um, a captain reported that an automated warning system ordered them to climb to avoid colliding with another airplane. Okay, that's, you know, the TCAS system I was just talking about. The pilot blamed it on another jet that was climbing faster than usual with a lightly loaded plane. Yeah. And, yeah, be a good neighbor out there, people. An airline crew said they got a warning that the cabin wasn't properly pressurized. They had been climbing so quickly with an unusually light load at high altitudes that the plane's pressurization system couldn't keep up. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Um, Which 1950s airplane were they flying? Um, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> seems un. Uh, I don't know. Um yeah, it seems like most modern airplanes that we fly these days would be able to keep up with the pressurization. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, here's a good one. After aborting a landing due to gusty winds, an airliner at takeoff power, toga power, climbed so quickly that it exceeded its maximum assigned altitude. Here's the quote. To say I was rattled would be an understatement. I'm concerned that we are flying these aircraft too light. <laughs> I can see that when you have a a pretty low level off altitude after you initiate a go around. And if you're going to allow the airplane to go into full takeoff, go around power, you're going to have your hands full. That's for sure. We, we uh, quite often flew and positioned aircraft completely empty. Um, do, do other people not never get a chance to fly light aircraft? Do they never think about what's likely to happen? I... Well, that's a, you make a good point. Yeah, we do ferry airplanes around quite often as well, um, you know, for yeah. maintenance reasons or positioning, that kind of thing. Yep. I mean, it's not uncommon. You're right. So maybe they're just using this whole thing as an excuse for screwing it up. <laughs> that's my guess. <laughs> so just not thinking about the ramifications of having, you know, very small passenger loads. Yeah. Because I mean, there's another one there saying that they were concerned about doing their uh, safety paperwork because the aircrafts were being loaded so quickly. Well, <laughs> it doesn't affect your pushback time just because you've got the passengers on quickly. Right, and I you have like that either. And most safety reporting systems, they give you like 24 hours after the event occurs <laughs> to yeah. to file your safety report. So yeah, that one. Mm, not sure. I think I might have to give it a uh, one of these. Ooh, sorry, that was kind of loud. Okay, I think we should move on then um, to item 15. And uh, JJ Pittsburgh, you know, we all also get feedback from JJ not Pittsburgh. This one is the actual real official JJ Pittsburgh. And guess where he's from? Pittsburgh. He sent us in, he actually used, uh, and this is a good uh, time to talk about the fact that you can use this system yourself if you want to send us some audio feedback. It's called SpeakPipe. And on our website, if you go to the Contact Us page, I believe, there's a link to SpeakPipe, and it uses the microphone that you have plugged into your computer or the built-in microphone to uh, send feedback. Now, one of the downsides of it, and you'll hear this in this audio that uh JJ uh, sent in uh, is that uh, it does 
do some weird things, especially if you're trying to record music. Uh, it must have some kind of a auto leveling software or something. Uh, normally, people use the speak pipe uh, as a way to send in audio feed, like not not singing. <laughs> but JJ um, is a singer and a guitar player, and he uh, sent in this. So let's hear a little bit of it. It's three minutes long, so we're probably just going to play a little bit of it. But uh, JJ took the time to uh, send us the recording using SpeakPipe, and uh, I think we owe it to him to hear what he uh, has to say. Hey, guys, it's JJ Pittsburgh here. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Instead of asking a question, here's a little tune for you. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Thank you, JJ. He's a great singer. Um, I think he does that for, uh, he does several different jobs, but I think one of them is actually singing professionally. So I don't think uh, Speakpipe did him any favors. There. No, he didn't. Uh, they didn't. Um, yeah, it's not the best no, way to I record. Mean, so the difference is if I tried to sing through Speakpipe, it would be unlistenable. But because <laughs> JJ is so good, you can actually really hear it. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should do an experiment. Let's see. I'm sorry. I was talking over you, Steph. Go ahead. No. Oh, Oh, no, no. no. I was just going to say it's, I can hear even through the way SpeakPipe put the audio together that he's very talented. Yes, he is a, he's a wonderful singer. And thank you for, um, for singing. I love that song, by the way, leaving on a jet plane, very appropriate for our show. All right. Well, maybe uh, one of these days we can do some karaoke or something. That would be a lot of fun. And uh, I think it might be time. I know he would. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Are we all out of sync again? I think so. Dang it. I'm good. After. Yeah, your your picture is a little bit fuzzier than normal. You're on your new machine, too, so that shouldn't be a problem. Mm, I don't know what the problem is. I'll troubleshoot it. Okay. All right. Well, you'll have some time to do that, Steph, because it's about time now for this week's installment of The Plain Tale. And this one is entitled The Well-Dressed Aviator. The Old Pilot's Plain Tale. The Well-Dressed Aviator It was the tradition of military officers of the British Empire to acquit themselves from one of the many military tailors 
who plied their trade from Savile Row in London. There are tailors there who made uniforms for the men who fought in the Battle of Waterloo. So when the gentlemen aviators of the First World War were looking for protective clothing to wear whilst doing battle over the trenches of the Somme, they visited establishments such as Alfred Dunhill's, where they were invited to alight for the best equipment, such as the Pilot Gauntlet, exceptionally flexible and fur-lined, a flying cap in the best Nutria and Chrome leather, featherweight triple X goggles, detachable fur collars for wonderful luxury in winter weather, sir, and fur-lined stockings, a necessity. Just write for a catalogue illustrating profusely all aviation equipments. Robinson and Cleaver of Regent Street could provide one with the RNAS style flying coat in black leather for 90 shillings and fur lined boots designed by expert at a mere £5.5 shillings. Alternatively, for the RFC officer, a tan leather lined fleece aviation coat was on offer. Whilst the British military tailor was always looking to follow the latest trends for their customers, even into the air, and take advantage of their dress needs, the first significant stride towards providing effective protection for the pilot arrived from the genius of Sidney Cotton, a pilot with Number 8 Squadron Royal Flying Corps. He decided that he was going to be the best-dressed pilot of the 1917s, and his discovery followed a flight in the winter of the previous year when an unexpected scramble that occurred whilst he was working on the engine of his Bristol Scout meant that he ran to a spare aircraft still wearing his dirty overalls. On landing, he realised that, unlike his fellow pilots who were all shivering from the cold, he was quite unaffected. Having thought through the occurrence, he realised that it was the oil and grease soaked into the overalls that he was wearing that had retained his body heat. Taking leave, he travelled to London to visit his tailors, Robinson and Cleaver, where he had a one-piece flying suit made to his design. The suit had three layers, a thin lining of fur, a layer of airproof silk, and an outer layer made of light Burberry, a hard-wearing fabric in which the yarn is waterproofed before weaving and used to make the famous Burberry gabardine. The suit was soon in great demand, 1,000 being delivered in the very first month, and the tailor registered the design on behalf of Cotton as the Sidcot suit, a portmanteau of the inventor's name. By the following winter, orders for leather flying coats were being cancelled and 3,000 Sidcot suits were ordered by the military authorities. This very efficient protective suit became highly prized by all aircrew and was the very first item to be confiscated from a British pilot should he be taken prisoner by the Germans. Indeed, Baron von Richthofen was wearing one when he was finally shot down. 
the Sidcott suit was so successful it remained in service in a number of modified forms right through World War II and only ceased being used when closed cockpits with cabin heating became the norm. It's worth taking a moment to delve into the life of Sidney Cotton, as the Sidcott suit was far from the most interesting thing he did with his life. Born in Queensland, Australia, he spent time in Britain being schooled and in New South Wales as a jackaroo, the name for a young stockman. In between the wars, he worked as a pilot in air races and performed various assignments in Newfoundland, including an airborne seal spotting service, as well as aerial search and rescue, as far away as Greenland. Shortly before World War II, he was recruited by military intelligence, MI6 to be precise, to take clandestine aerial photographs of the German military build-up. Flying a modified Lockheed 12A with three concealed cameras in the fuselage and a Leica hidden in the wing, his cover story was that he was a film producer, or possibly an archaeologist. Although his flight plans were dictated by the German government, he consistently managed to get away with flying off-track over military installations. Cotton had a very persuasive manner and exploited any advantage he could. On the eve of war, he even managed to engineer a joyride over German military airfields on one occasion accompanied by a senior Luftwaffe officer, Albert Kesselring. With Kesselring at the controls, Cotton quietly reached under his seat and operated the cameras, capturing the airfields on film. Cotton later offered to fly Hermann Goering to London for talks a week before hostilities broke out and claimed that his was the last civilian aircraft to leave Berlin before the outbreak of hostilities. When war was declared, Cotton was recruited to head the fledgling RAF Photographic Development Unit, greatly improving the RAF's capabilities. He wheedled a few Spitfires out of the RAF and later some Mosquitoes, which were highly polished and painted with a special PRU blue camouflage of Cotton's design. However, he undertook the unauthorised evacuation of British agents from France, including the head of the Christian Dior Empire, for which he took a large personal fee. Following his discovery, he was eased out of the military. However, he continued to advise both the RAF and the Navy on such projects as an airborne searchlight for night fighters. Despite his extracurricular activities, he was made an officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. After the war, he transported gold for the Pakistanis and airlifted weapons and medicines during the First Indo-Pakistan War. As a result, he later faced gun-running charges under the United Kingdom's Air Navigation Act and was fined £200. Whilst Frederick Sidney Cotton, OBE, was doing his bit for pilot comfort in Europe, there was an equally colourful character making contributions to the wardrobes of the best-dressed pilots in California. 
Leslie Leroy Irvin, was five years old at the start of the 19th century, and he made his first steps into the history books at 16 as a stuntman for the 1914 movie Sky High. He was already flying in balloons, performing trapeze acrobatics and parachute descents when he made his first jump out of an aircraft for the movie at a thousand feet. By 1918, he had developed his own static line parachute, jumping with it several times and promoting it to the U.S. Army. Irvin joined the Army Air Service Parachute Research Team at McCook Field near Dayton, Ohio, and developed the first modern parachute. On the 28th of April 1919, using the Type A 28-foot backpack parachute, Volunteer Leslie Irvin, flying in a de Havilland DH-9 biplane, jumped and manually pulled the ripcord, fully deploying his chute at a thousand feet to become the first American to jump from an airplane and manually open a parachute in mid-air. The new chute performed flawlessly, which is more than can be said for Irvin's ankles when he broke one on the landing. Less than two months later, Irving had formed the Irving Air Chute Company, the world's first parachute designer and manufacturer. Legend has it that Irving was inadvertently changed to Irving with a G by a secretary who mistakenly tacked the G onto the end of the name and the company never bothered to correct the mistake until 1970. The Dayton Herald's aviation editor, predicting more jumps in the future, suggested that a club should be formed. Two years later, Irvin's company instituted the Caterpillar Club, awarding a gold pin to pilots who successfully bailed out of a disabled aircraft using an Irvin parachute. At the end of World War II, the number of members with the Irvin pins had grown to over 34,000, though the total of people saved by Irving parachutes is estimated to be 100,000. Now, whilst a parachute is often worn in an aircraft, it's hardly a very suave item of flying clothing for the debonair pilot, so Irvin designed and manufactured the classic sheepskin flying jacket that bears his name. Irvin's jacket was superb, made from heavyweight sheepskin. Its thick natural wool provided incredible insulation, and whilst the sheepskin was considered heavyweight, the jacket itself was comparatively light and remarkably comfortable. Irvin insisted on the most supple sheepskin. In a cramped cockpit, movement was already restricted and no pilot or crew would want to be constrained further still. The Irvin jacket was a masterpiece of design, combining warmth and comfort with mobility. The jacket had long sleeves zipped to enable gauntlets to be worn. The wide collar could be raised to provide excellent insulation around the neck, head and face, while a belt was fitted at the waist to keep out uncomfortable draughts. The original jackets didn't have pockets, as these were not needed, but more modern versions have them. Irvin was producing his jackets at Letchworth in England, and he supplied the Royal Air Force during the Battle of Britain and throughout most of World War II. 
The jacket was so popular that he had to enlist the services of subcontractors in order to meet demand. The subcontractors are often held responsible for little variations in the pattern of the jacket made during the war. For example, an additional small angle panel above each hip. But with the war on, almost everything was scarce, including supplies of high-quality sheepskin. So large panels would be made by patching together smaller offcuts. The variation in the original jackets was, as often or not, resourceful thinking by the seamstresses, determined to keep their boys warm and safe as they defended the skies. World War II also meant that flying clothing was altered for more devious means. Clutty Hutton worked for MI9, a branch of military intelligence that, apart from other things, invented escape and evasion equipment for downed airmen. He was renowned for reinventing the silk escape and evasion map that was issued to all flyers. He also discovered the qualities of mulberry leaf paper, in that maps printed on tissue from these leaves had excellent durability and could be pulled up, put in water to soak and then flattened out without creasing or fading. These maps could be laminated inside playing cards and such, which, when soaked, could be peeled open. Hutton also devised uniforms that could be reversed so that the dark lining looked like a civilian jacket. Flying boots were an obvious giveaway for airmen trying to blend in and avoid capture, so Hutton invented the 1943 escape boot. These consisted of a black leather laced shoe with zip-up suede leggings. The principle was simple. In the event of landing in enemy territory, the wearer would separate the leggings from the shoe by using the folded pocket knife that was held in a special pocket in the right boot. The walking shoe was less conspicuous and more comfortable than a conventional flying boot, and the leggings could then be reassembled to make a waistcoat for extra warmth. That design remained in service with the RAF until the mid-1950s. Hutton also provided the boots with hollow heels to hide maps and other escape equipment. As clever and practical as British flying clothing was, it didn't really compare with the style and panache of some American flying jackets. I've already mentioned the iconic Irving jacket adopted by the RAF, but the American-issued jackets started with the 1927 A1, made by a number of contractors. It had a knitted waistband and cuffs, which not only insulated the jacket from cold air, but gave it a particularly flattering fit, high on the waist. The A1 also had flat pockets near the waist, but the size and stitching of these vary greatly, depending on the contractor or whether they were used by the Air Corps or Navy, and goatskin, sheepskin and horsehide were all used at different times. Charles Lindbergh had a well-worn A1-style jacket which he wore before completing the first solo transatlantic flight in 1927. The A2 flight jacket arrived in the early 1930s and became standard issue for the Air Corps. 
First made from a seal brown horsehide leather with a silk lining, the quality of the jackets fell later to a goatskin leather with cotton lining. They were so cool, in fact, that when Steve McQueen played Virgil Hiltz in the movie The Great Escape, he, of course, wore an A2. The G1 picked up where the A2 left off. It was adopted by the Army and Navy as early as the 30s, but didn't replace the A2 amongst the Air Corps pilots until 1943. This new jacket featured a molten collar and a bi-swing back for greater arm movement, although the zipper lacks the A2's wind flap detail. And yes, it's the jacket you'll see Maverick wear in the movie Top Gun. Whilst some mistakenly refer to these as bomber jackets, the B-3 was a bulky sheepskin jacket with a heavy-duty sheep fur lining designed specifically for the high-altitude needs of the bombers. The slimmed-down B-6 arrived on the scene around 1943 and reflected the improving conditions for pilots in their cosy cockpits. The B-10 was a cloth jacket, that came with an alpaca fur collar and lining. It very closely resembled the original G1 jacket with the same style pockets and zip closures. The jacket was released in various olive drab and navy blue and became incredibly popular even outside the air corps. The B-10's brief reign ended in 1944 with the flight jacket that would endure for the rest of the 1940s and become what most people today view as a proper bomber jacket. The B-15 had a molten fur collar and the wool knit waist and cuffs of many of the previous models but was produced in a variety of different shell materials including nylon. Also new was a pen pocket high up on the left upper arm of the jacket, a detail that would remain and grow for decades to come. The jacket went mainstream just as the so-called jet age began, with Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier in 1947 and the United States Air Force becoming its own independent military branch in the same year. It's as fashionable now as it looked on Yeager as he posed beside glamorous Glennis. Good stuff. Very fashionable. So the uh, the G yeah. series uh, jackets, um, the G, G1, G, did it have anything to do with the G string? Uh, no, G whiz. Oh, G whiz. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, G whiz, yeah. Well, you guys are gee whiz guys, aren't you? So, I, I have to say, uh, we always uh, envied uh, the cut of the uh, United States Air Force flying suits and jackets, uh, particularly when I first joined the Air Force, as ours resembled a giant baby grow uh, outfit, uh, which you may not have had in the States, yeah. but was kind of a, a, a onesie. Like, uh, and yeah, a floppy, flat. green. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, horrible. 
Um, and it wasn't really until I was coming, uh, you know, halfway through my career that our flight suits start to look vaguely neat and well tailored. Uh, so uh, that was always interesting. And our cold weather gear used to resemble something like out of World War II. We had a pair of huge trousers that came up to our nipples, like we were like old gentlemen, um, with little, with braces, and then a little short jacket that went over the top. Uh, all made out of sort of fireproof canvas stuff. Uh, it was it was actually quite practical, but looked awful. <laughs> I have a very – you'll have to send a picture at some point because I have a picture in my head, and it's not a good look. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. But I did do the winter survival course in uh, Bad Kohlgrub in Austria wearing that the RAF cold weather gear, and it actually worked pretty well. It wasn't bad. It yeah, just looked awful. The, the functionality of it, it doesn't matter what it looks like at the end. That's true. Yeah, you know, I was uh, amazed at replica jackets from the sort of World War II era, uh, some of these famous jackets. Uh, you know, just to knock up a replica, $1,200, $1,500, uh, to get hold of an original whoa, you're going to spend a lot of money. It's amazing the value of these uh, these uh, old flying clothing. Hmm. So Armando wants you to do a uh, another plain tale about fashion, but uh, just focusing on flying scarves. Yeah, like that's going to be real easy. <laughs> um, I, I, but uh, I, I will have a think about it, Armando, for 10 seconds. Um, I do <laughs> need, much? though, to yeah, – I, I used to I, – I mean, I've got a number of flying scarves, and uh, quite honestly, uh, they were uh, had a very practical use because when you're – uh, trying to turn your head backwards and forwards all the time. It it did stop your neck from chafing, uh, which was a problem. So, you know, yeah, I used to have a silk scarf just for that and also for posing, of course, in the bar. Um, but uh, the, I need to mention someone, and that's uh, Bob Nelson, uh, because uh, he did write to me and uh, suggested a few people to um, investigate, one of whom was Sydney Cotton, and that's kind of led to this whole plain tale. So thanks very much indeed for that, Bob. Appreciate uh, your pointer there. And I'm always open to suggestions, except perhaps... Except from Armando. Well, actually, I was going to include a little bit about... Um, Flying goggles, because when I uh, was a youngster flying gliders, uh, I got issued a set of RAF flying goggles, and they were literally uh, World War II flying goggles. And how I wish I'd hung on to them, mm. because we used to fly open cockpit gliders in the winter, and you really did need some warm gear. Uh, and, uh, yeah, jeez, oh, I should have... <laughs> Got to those. I mean, they even they came in a beautiful box, and they even had special uh, cloths which uh, you wiped on the inside to stop them misting up. Mm -hmm. And they had um, uh, swappable lenses, uh, so you could have tinted or clear. Uh, they really were beautifully made. Uh, and I, yeah, I guess I don't know. I probably gave them back to the guy in stores, but uh, I suppose it's like the rest of the rest of those. Outfits, they're just not made the same way anymore. Getting something yeah. from the uh, control room. Oh, right. Um, Liz asks, are they anything like beer goggles? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, in those days, I didn't need beer goggles. I do nowadays, though. <laughs> yes. Excellent. I really enjoyed that. And uh, the pictures really helped. Uh, for those of you listening to the audio only, all the uh, of those will be in uh, the on the Plain Tale page where you can see all the photos that uh, Nick shared with us during the uh, video. Or you could just go over, and, over to YouTube and watch it on uh, on YouTube, too. That's another way to do it. That's uh, true, true. Anyway, very good. Um, really enjoyable. Well, let's uh, continue our feedback with a cartoon that was sent in by Larry Geezer, uh, Larry Gregory uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I know it's just a cartoon, so you can't really – you have to imagine this. Uh, it's the inside of an airline cabin. Flight attendant is walking up to this lady uh, who is sitting next to a gentleman that appears to have expired. And she's – Very uncomfortable in that moment. Yeah, very the eyeballs kind of popping out, which is kind of Perhaps odd. Yeah, yeah. So the flight attendant says to the the lady, uh, "We when we asked you to turn off all electronic devices, we didn't mean your husband's pacemaker." Oops. You know what it reminds me of? You know the um, little girl in airplane who has the heart trouble and her IV yeah. gets knocked out. The face <laughs> that she makes—that's the face. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. That is that same face. Yeah. Cool. All right. In the show notes, folks, ITSN. Um, Sean. I'm curious, huh? just a second. Uh, can you actually turn off a pacemaker? I don't. Well, I put a magnet over it to inactivate it, sure. Oh, okay. Or put yourself inside of a microwave. No, that, that'd be hard to do. That, or get yeah. an MRI. That's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it like one of those warnings, like if you have a pacemaker, like not to go through some of the... Yeah, you have to stay away from strong magnetic fields because okay. it can interfere with the function of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, 17, Sean says, uh, a few weeks back, Liz was worried about lack of feedback. So here's one that can be used at any time. So we've been holding this uh, in, in our holster here. Um, question. It's well known that pilots are cheap. <laughs> but why are they so cheap? Uh, one could argue that a flight training is expensive, but pilots trained in the military seem to be just as cheap, if not cheaper, actually. And uh, item B, it's from the shell shock of flying for shady, low paying operators, but senior pilots at the majors can be just as cheap. Any other thoughts? And again, this is from Sean. So uh, Sean's an American, yeah? I believe so. Um, yeah, well, that, that explains it. Okay. So there are no so the airline pilots in other parts of the world are not cheap at all. <laughs> I couldn't possibly I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> well, I would I noticed that characteristic personality trait, whatever you want to call it, um, pretty rapidly when I started in the airlines here in the U.S. Uh, that there were not all, but there were some. Um, pilots that I flew with who were very, uh, let's say, practical slash frugal. Maybe that's a nicer way of saying cheap. Um, in fact, one of the guys, and I think I've, I've shared this story at least once or twice, uh, was so cheap. And this guy was a, a captain on the 727, and this was before 
you know, 9-11, 2001. Um, this was back in the days when, you know, the 1996 contract, I guess, was, was very, it was a good contract. Guys flying captain on any of our airliners were making very, very good money. And, but that didn't stop this particular captain from being like, if you looked up cheap in the dictionary or Wikipedia, uh, you'd see a picture of him. Captain, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to mention his name just in case he ever listens to the show, but, uh, you know who you are, who you well, are. We had one who famously used to go to hotels with uh, a bunch of really cheap light bulbs in his suitcase. And before he left his room, he would unscrew all the nice, um, low voltage, um, expensive um, LED powered or whatever um, light bulbs and replace them with these really cheap ones and take those home with him to sell. Wow. That's, yeah. that's well, so this guy, um, he, uh, the, one of the first times I ever went to a, a restaurant with no, actually we had a long layover in Los Angeles and I had family out there at the time they picked me up. So I didn't, thank goodness. I didn't have to go on the layover with uh, my flight engineer and this captain. And the next day he was telling me that they went to a restaurant and they sat down, they were seated, they sat down, looked at the menu. And then the captain goes, yeah, we're, we're not going to eat here. And, and the guy's going, oh, why not? Because it's just too, it's too much money. Um, and then they were the next day on a long bike ride, um, along the, I guess there's a, some kind of a bike trail along the, uh, you probably done it, Nick, uh, and like in Santa Monica and you know, that, that kind of area on the beach yeah, along the, the beach and things. Yeah. And it. apparently it goes for miles and miles. And this guy was a big, um, uh, bike rider. Um, and one of the things he did, which is a wonderful thing for charity, he would get bikes that were all messed up and really needed work and he would work on them and fix them up. And then he would donate them to, um, to companies to give away to underprivileged, uh, kids. Uh, so that was one of the wonderful things that this man did, but, um, they were on this long ride and the guy was about to die of thirst. And so they stopped by and to get some water and the guys were, you know, were selling cold water and, uh, bottles and, and he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop to buy water in the bottles because they were charging too much money for the, for the water. Uh, he said, you can find, we can find water somewhere, you know, for free. But, um, anyway, the, the, the one that really took the cake for me was that when we would lay over in, um, Fort Wayne, Indiana, FWA there, uh, right at the airport, there is a, um, cookie manufacturer, I think called arrow cookies or something like that. And he'd uh, always take a, a plastic trash bag, like one of the big ones, like the 55-gallon mm. trash bags. And the next day, he'd come back with this thing just filled up with broken up cookie pieces. And we said, well, what, what is this? And he said, oh, you go over there and they'll sell their rejects for like 50 cents a pound or something like that. And so he said, I always come up here and just fill up a big giant bag of these broken cookies. Reject cookies. <laughs> yeah. And he said, it makes, it's great for parties and then you can put them in like a punch bowl. And we're going like, yeah, that's, yeah, we're, we are always asking where, I wonder where he, where all the money goes because he makes real, a lot of money. And he apparently, apparently doesn't spend a lot of it, at least when he's on these trips. Was he previously divorced? I don't think so. I think he was then still on his first wife. Fun. I don't know. Just um, 
Who knows? Yes. But uh, this is something that is true. Uh, trust me. Um, that the uh, copper wire was um, invented by two airline pilots fighting over a penny, and they were like, you know, pulling it so hard, it turned into wire. <laughs> but bam! Yeah. And since Dane is not here to make his comments, wow! Thank you. <laughs> Hey, can I add something real quick that yes. actually has to do with going back to the cartoon? Because oh, yeah. I said something and I want to make sure that I'm not completely misunderstood or misspoke. Okay. Um, and probably, and I only thought of this because, um, you know, our cardiologists from the Acme Aviation uh, Administration mm-hmm. wrote in earlier. Yeah. Um, so just to be real clear, the magnet doesn't actually turn the pacemaker off. It just puts it in asynchronous mode and it can also inhibit if it's a defibrillator, inhibit the defibrillation part of it, but not the pacing. I was wondering that myself, but I didn't want to correct you and embarrass you on the I show. Just, I could just feel my, like, buddy said this tingling that some cardiologist <laughs> was going to write in and be like, uh, no. I'm like, okay. That's I'd not right. Way oversimplified there. But well, to be fair, you're not a cardiologist. I am not a cardiologist, but just right. wanted to raise that bar back to it, somewhere it, around 50%. I'm probably not 100% accurate there either, but closer. I think we're above. Thank you, Steph. Yes. And just to be on the record, to be clear to everybody out there that Captain Nick and myself are also not cardiologists. Are. No, I, I'm a gynecologist. <laughs> well, <laughs> an amateur gynecologist, maybe. Um, okay. Well, Is there such a thing? Because I actually want to be one of those. <laughs> Wait, <what? laughs> okay. Um, moving on. Um, oh my, keep that family show, uh, thing ready. Oh, I guess. I guess yeah. I let me, let me just make sure that you did. I did play it, but I think you guys are still talking. Uh, huh? family show, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Matt is trying very, very diligently to keep us on track. Um, so, uh, getting back to Sean, um, you know, honestly, I don't, I think that's just one of the, and, and it's not as, as Nick is trying to make the point, it's not necessarily universal in the world of airline pilots that all pilots are very frugal cheap people uh there are a lot of them a very high percentage of them but um not all of us are like that um i think at some point we come to the point where we understand that you can't take it with you so you might as well spend it and enjoy your life and you know and spend the money on yourself and your crew while you're out there you know and enjoying traveling around the world Definitely. I, I, to be fair, though, we, we used to get exactly the same allowances, didn't matter what rank you were or what position on the flight you held. We all got given the same bucket of money when we went down route. So, um, you know, we all used to go out and spend it and enjoy it. It was much better when we got given cash in hand, you know, arrive at the hotel and you were given a little brown envelope with all your dollars in or whatever. Uh, in later years, they put it on a credit card, and that's when people used to start uh, going, now nah, I won't go out so much because I'm going to turn that into pounds and take it home with me. Well, you take it a step further for us. Ever since I've been flying for Acme Airlines, our per diem uh, is always uh, um, included in our paycheck. Ah, yeah, so that, it just becomes a pay. Killer. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it, that's probably so a part of it. Day. So yeah. if, we, if we had it like in an envelope with cash or even a like an extra credit card, I think that it's more likely we'd probably spend that money instead of, you know, but when it's already going into your bank account, it's like pay. And so 
Some people just like to preserve as much of their pay as possible, I guess. Okay. Yep. Oh, no, I was just thinking that that's not only true for pilots. No, 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 no. Uh, we don't, we don't <laughs> that, have... That extends across many, many different professions and specialties, it's, it's, even ones that are highly paid. We don't have a monopoly on it. No, no, no. I think uh, Clark Howard, he's a guy that does a radio program on on financial, practical, money-related stuff. And he says, you know, there's a reason that the people out there that who are millionaires are driving old beat-up cars, <laughs> like 15-year-old 15 15-year-old 15 oh, sure. cars or, or more. And that's, you know, because they save every darn penny. And that's the reason why they're millionaires. <laughs> of course, we always mm-hmm. think of millionaires as the people riding in limousines and living in you know, multi-million dollar homes and everything else. But uh, yeah, I think there's a far greater percentage of quote millionaires out there that are living in very small homes and driving beat up cars. Yeah, They're fairly, fairly frugal, but behind the scenes, they're amassing their, their own personal wealth. Yes. Thank you, uh, Liz. That kind of hurts. Really, it really does hurt. She she wrote uh, behind the scenes. <laughs> She's reminding me of the van that I used to drive, the loser cruiser, I called it. 20 years old with, I don't know how many thousands of miles, hundreds of thousands of miles on it. Yeah, but it was a car and it drove yeah. and it allowed you yeah. to, you know, grow your I didn't take it out on dates or anything, you know. I, <laughs> I do have a nicer car. Anyway. Um, oh, you only use your nice car on dates. Oh, no. And I don't do a lot of dating anymore. So <laughs> that tells you something there, too. Okay. Um, Mark writes in, this is funny. Hi, Liz and APG hosts. The wrap up of the last show, 427, with uh, Hillel in the shower made me think of the of this recent news story that a mother gave some seven-year-olds uh, a biology lesson. Although not aviation related, it's pretty funny and hits the 50% accuracy mark. Oh, can we see the video? Well, I don't mm. think that they included the video. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Uh, this is from the dailymail.co.uk and, um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And this lady from Jacksonville, Florida, her name, Ashley Forret, Forret Smith shared the embarrassing moment in a viral Facebook video. By the way, the Facebook video doesn't actually have her coming out of the shower naked. I checked just to make sure because... I want to ensure that the quality is there for people that are <laughs> also accuracy. Yeah, accuracy, mm-hmm. right? That's what quality we check. Yeah, uh, she had set her three daughters up with computers in other rooms of the house on May fifth and took a shower in the master bathroom. While she was in the shower, her seven-year-old moved her computer into the master bedroom and started a Zoom session with classmates. Ashley walked out of the bathroom naked and was caught on camera. Uh, this was sent in by uh, Mark Van Ram, part of the Van Ram brothers. What was Mark Van Ram doing in that computer class? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> um, yeah. So there, the, there's the article here about, and there's some pictures of mom and with a towel around her wet hair. And, um, and then interestingly, uh, some of the, solutions that her daughters came up with <laughs> for keeping it private, um, mm-hmm. which are kind of interesting. One of the daughters is out there on the, in the backyard on a blanket, you know, keeping it. Um, uh, the, my favorite though, is the one right below that where um, one of the little girls has uh, strapped to her shoulders, 
a, a big board or big like a poster board. poster board behind her to block anything that might be happening. It's like her backpack privacy screen. Yeah. That's very <laughs> cool. It. Very, very cool. Very inventive. Yes. She's going to do well in life. Uh, yes. So anyway, um, she, she made a, uh, she had some fun with this whole thing and, and she apologized. Um, and I'm sure she uh, just horrified her, her, her daughters and her daughter's friends. <laughs> anyway, so be careful out there. And, and, you know, you've talked about this stuff. Uh, you've been involved in many, many zoom meetings and, I guess the most common thing is not necessarily things that are happening it's visually. Not, it's the, the sound. It's not video, it's audio. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, there was the one the other week that I was on and, and you know, there was a general announcement at the beginning, but not everyone joined on time. So the latecomers weren't very good about making sure their audio was on mute. Mm. And you just hear like kids yelling in the background, dogs barking, people coughing. I'm glad we didn't hear any toilets flushing or anything, a la the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. So just a, you know, just a the public Supreme service court. To oh, be fair, it was, yeah. it was a lawyer that was in, but it was part of the Supreme Court hearing. Hearing. And yeah, one of the. There's a toilet flushing in yeah. the background. I'm going to be saying, hey, call your congressman and uh, change these laws that apply to banks. And what the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed. And it's, it's yeah. a call that would have been allowed and it's no longer allowed. And so I think. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> not a good sound. So and just was, a public oh, service yeah. announcement from your friends at the airline pilot And it guy. wasn't uh, just one of those sound effects like that I have on my soundboard. It was like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just mute, so, mute as your friend. Find the mute button. Know how it works. When you join a Zoom meeting, doesn't it all automatically have you on? It depends on, on your settings. Oh, okay. It depends on your settings. Well, there you go. All right. I'm going to uh, I'm just gonna do a couple more here and then maybe just call it quits a little bit early today. Um, I'm going to skip um, the one from Andy. I'm going to save that. Uh, Logan uh, had some feedback for us. Um, just a quick feedback here in regards to the other unique 747s out there. I think we talked about that on the last episode. I didn't hear you mention the NASA shuttle carrier aircraft 747. Oh yeah, I don't think we did mention it that. It was either. mentioned in the chat room. Someone oh, okay. brought it up and I meant to say it and then we moved on uh, and I forgot, I'm sorry. But actually I should have mentioned that one even without prompting because I actually saw it fly over my house with the space shuttle on it oh, one cool. time when I lived in Utah. Yeah, it was on its way to Hill Air Force Base. Ah. It was just part of a tour, but very cool. They operated two modified Boeing 747-100s to transport the space shuttle from their landing sites back to Kennedy. Uh, here's a page from NASA for reference, as well as a video from the flight that brought the space shuttle Endeavour to Los Angeles. Uh, and this is from Logan Lynch. Hope you're doing well, sir. And thank you for the, the link to NASA.gov and the special 747 shuttle carrier aircraft. And I want to say it was Discovery on being carried when I saw it. Oh, <laughs> very cool. Was that one of the ones that? Well, well go on then. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and say it. You can say it. Because you, well, you want to say it. We'll let you. Go you ahead. can say Discovery if you want. <laughs> She's not following so us. Confused. I get it. No. <laughs> hey, we're just a bunch of boomers. Yeah. Uh, okay, we, we understand okay, each other's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sense of humor. I want to say Discovery, but... Okay, and then we're saying, yes. go ahead. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I gotcha. 
Uh, yeah. No, they were doing, I forget why they were doing it. It was like a tour of different Air Force bases and you could go out, the public could go out and see it on display, but they basically flew directly overhead my house on the way up there. So Neat. we That's actually sat up on very the roof nice of them. and watched it. It was kind of before the days of like, you know, having a camera on your cell phone or anything. So no one took any pictures. We just sat there and went, Ooh. yeah. There would be plenty of pictures if it happened today, right? Oh my gosh. So many. Here's an interesting one. Sean H sent in this um, from a small town in Ontario, Canada. This is my first feedback since meeting Jeff and Liz back in October in Toronto. It was an honor to meet you both. Thank you, Sean. It was a great honor to meet you as well. First, it's great to see Rick back in the APG seat. I had a couple of questions for him on CG. Oh, well, darn it. He's not here to answer them. Um, That's all right. I can give it a go. It looks like it's a fairly simple one. Okay. So when we talk about CG in an aircraft, it's usually forward to aft um, and side to side. Actually, it's just forward to aft. I don't even think it's side to side, is it? No, um, it's not side to side. Uh, but what about vertically? I'm wondering if there is a specific way that they would load a 747 freighter or a 777 freighter. For example, the cargo is all the same size in small boxes and containers and pallets. Would they fill the lower cargo hold first and then the top deck? Or No, I can't answer that, but I'm going to say it doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't think so. Either. I mean, it, we're, we're talking uh, 30 feet. So, mm -hmm. you know, the difference between top and bottom, 30 foot is a very small moment arm. Uh, so you're not really going to have any significant balance effects. And uh, a load sheet that we use when we load an aircraft doesn't have any uh, indications for side to side or up and down uh, loading. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, loading limitations. So it's only fore and aft. He said, like, uh, does this affect the roll characteristics, especially on the Dreamlifter, when you would yeah. be transporting a whole plane fuselage above the wings? Uh, Rick's going to have to answer that. Yeah. But I would guess that, that, that the Dreamlifter doesn't carry a lot of weight. It's a lot of volume, mm -hmm. but it hasn't a huge weight. Right. So I, I'm, I'm going to say that the uh, airframe shape probably has a much greater uh, effect on the handling characteristics than what you've stuck inside. I would, I, I believe you are correct, sir. But we'll make sure we'll, we'll pass this by Rick as well, just to kind of get his, yeah, um, yeah he, he can edit my comments as required. Yeah. Uh, he said he thought of this as he watched the Antonov AN-225 come into Toronto this past weekend. It and the C5 Galaxy are both high wing design, but that might be for loading capability. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure most of the reason why you see these big cargo jets with the high wing uh, setup is for cargo loading. Almost yeah, it's to give it a nice, clear fuselage all the way down yeah. so you can just roll stuff in the front and troll it straight down the fuselage, I suspect. Yep. If you had a big spar in the way, it would get annoying. That would be very annoying. Um, this is the, the most interesting part of his, uh, of his feedback, I think, though. Second, I thought you guys might find this interesting. I came across this website while I was doing some research showing how to reduce your chances of dying in a plane crash. I found the odds section fascinating. What stood out to me was bloggers have a 35 million to one chance of dying. <laughs> Who knew you could die from blogging? 
Oh, it's all the pictures they need to take it's, hanging off the sides of cliffs, I think. Okay. That's what kills most bloggers. the stress bloggers. of getting a post out on time. Uh, yeah, that too. Yeah, heart attacks, yeah. Uh, but I'll put a link to this in the in the show notes, and you can look at this um, this visualization. Um, but And remember, this link that he gave us is from 2009, uh, but it shows, like, reducing your odds of dying in a plane crash. Um, the density of fatal accidents... Uh, going to your final destination. And then I guess if you're flying to the United States, that's not a good place to be flying because it has the highest, the biggest circle uh, on this uh, geographic mm. um, map of uh, chances of dying. If you're going to the U.S., apparently it's pretty high. Um, and then the uh, t- it goes into the types of aircraft um, and uh, the 737, <laughs> uh-oh, don't tell Dana, mm. is up there uh, pretty high – uh, on the list, actually at the top of the list, um, the number of uh, fatal accidents by aircraft type. And again, this is in 2009. Uh, the top one is a 737. The next one down is the uh, DC-9 family. I Oops. guess that includes <laughs> the airplane that I'm found. Or, of course, look at that profile view there. That is not a DC-9. Mm. That is either a BAC-111 or a Fokker. Or Fokker. Well, did a journalist put this together? I'm sure a journalist did. Mm-hmm. There you have. I'm it. impressed that they got the 737 and the 747 correct, though. The Boeing 747 is the third one in, on the list, mm-hmm. and then it drops down to the Airbus A300, uh, and then the three. Uh, these are getting you know lower and lower fatal accident rates. Uh, Airbus A320, 757, 767, Bombardier CRJ200, and the Airbus A330. There's only at this time only one which crashed in June of uh, 2009, the uh, Air France. I'm looking, the A340 is so good, it doesn't appear. Oh, it doesn't even show up. But the 777, at that time, uh, had zero fatal accidents. I I would imagine that uh, the San Francisco one would probably count as Mm -hmm. as one. Well, didn't they shoot one down? And, of course, the uh, Malayan We've had some, Mm -hmm. yeah, like three. Yeah. After they put this whole chart together. Bad months with the most fatal airline accidents. I guess uh, if you're planning on flying in August, I would think about maybe changing your plans. August seems to be a bad month to uh, fly as far as fatal accidents. Hmm. You'll also remember, though, compared today, compared with 2009, uh, the uh, the fatal accident rate has almost diminished to well, Nothing. and this is um, taking into account fatal accidents from 1942 to 2009. Yeah, so, kind of a long span of time. You know, things change over decades. The thing that I was happiest about was that on um, the safety record of the various airlines, um, Acme is nowhere to be found on this, nor its sister airline. So, No, oh. Virgin isn't up there either. No, it is not. So that's good. Um it's kind of fun to look at these things. Uh, the the last line, the odds of uh, actually dying in a plane crash um, is kind of in the middle here. One, 11 million to one. Um, I guess uh, the most common um, way of dying is falling down. <laughs> it's 20,666 to one. And I guess that's probably older people. Uh, they tend to. Yeah, you fall and then, you know, there's associated things that happen from that. You hit yeah. your head and you have a bleed or you break something and then yeah well, you've heard of falling down dead haven't you so yeah. that must be it mm-hmm. you know you, you could fall down dead of a heart attack or a stroke or right 
all sorts of things. Or heat stroke. We're falling down. So. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't know if yeah. it's con- included in that category or not. Um, <laughs> heat stroke, 950,000 to one. Lightning, 2.3 million. Yeah, that lightning, one. very dangerous airplane. <laughs> um, well, not that lightning. Um, this is more like don't stand out on a golf course with your... You know, with your, your clubs up in the air. Clubs yeah. up in the air, yeah, during a lightning storm. Yeah. 10 million to yeah. one chance of dying in a nuclear accident. I live in very close proximity to a nuclear well, power For you, it's more like <laughs> so 10 million to two, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's a little higher. Yeah. Um, plane crash, bee 11 million to one. But yeah, bee sting, 15 million Some to one. Some people are very allergic to bee stings. Yep. Uh, yeah, mountain lion attack, got to... Be careful about those mountain lions attacking you, 32 million to one. And then, of course, the aforementioned um, stat blogging, 35 million to one chance of. So you have more of a chance of dying from a lightning strike than you do from blogging. So I think blogging is pretty safe, actually. Or a plane crash. Or a plane crash. Yeah. Good point. All right. Um, I think, let's see, what does Becky say? I don't think I've even read this one. Uh, Becky. Writes in, I found the discussion of this event super interesting. The Szechuan 8319, uh, the one with the explosive um, decompression because of the windshield breaking. I can't imagine the noise and chaos in a cold and damp cockpit. I also see Nick's point that if the pilot lost consciousness, the bravery and skills wouldn't be helpful. I'm curious. How disoriented disorienting can they make a simulation obviously they can't simulate a windscreen failure and watching your co-pilot get almost sucked out of the plane do they ever try to simulate explosive decompression condensation or doors hitting electrical panels not serious in that one Uh, what are the most challenging such simulations thrown at each of you yeah very difficult to kind of come up with any of these kind of scenarios and simulation wouldn't you say nick yeah well, yeah, apart from anything else, they try to avoid these very, very low probability emergencies, which involve multiple emergencies, because uh, they do nothing usually but erode the confidence of the pilots. Now, most emergencies, uh, you might get a serious combination of one or two events, but when you get multiple events thrown in that happen once in uh, a blue moon, uh, there's not a lot of point in training every pilot or putting every pilot through that because the chances of it happening are so remote compared with all the other myriad of perhaps slightly simpler emergencies. Much better to train for those and have those all dealt with properly. And then when you get a really, really serious situation like this guy had, uh, then you just trust that uh, despite the fact that he had uh, windscreen failure, depressurization, incapacitation, and electrical problems, plus everything else that occurred. Um, you know, when you do get someone who manages to deal with that and save the aircraft, then that's just, you know, a brilliant piece of work. Yep. And we all take our hat off uh, to him. Uh, so, but the, the, you know, the, you, trained everyone in the simulator to cope with that emergency. And the chances are that only one in a generation will ever see it for real. So there's little point. You just hope that on the day you've got a smart guy that can cope. Very true. All right. Well, we know with that, I think we're going to call it quits for episode four, three, zero. Thank you, Becky, for sending in the uh, question. 
And thank you for listening. And all of you out there, thank you for listening to the show, downloading it, watching it on YouTube, uh, giving us um, good ratings in iTunes or whatever software you're using. Um, That always helps to uh, highlight our show and, um, you know, maybe recommend it to others as well. So. And as we mentioned before, the the community, the APG community is really amazing. And we want more and more great people like you all to join it so that we can all have a great time. One of these days when we have, we don't have to do the social distancing thing anymore. We'll have a huge meetup somewhere and have a great party. So with that, if you're uh, new to the show, you want to learn more about the crew, the community, the, uh, merchandise, the coffee fund, uh, more uh, detailed information about each of the plain tales that uh, Nick does every week. Uh, special page for that. Uh, if you're a reader, we have the APG library uh, managed by our librarian, Tiffany, and so much more. So head over to the Airline Pilot Guy website. And, you know, if you want to make it um, sort of like an app, you can appify that. And that's in the show notes, by the way. Uh, take It's a link that shows you how to make... Uh, a page kind of look and work sort of like an app on your phone or tablet device. So check that out. And uh, we're also on the social meds. We are good for uh, this time of social distancing. You can still be social with us on the social meds. Head over to twitter.com. We are at APG crew and all of our individual Twitter information is pinned to the top of that page. Good place to find out about when we'll be recording the show live or any last minute changes to said recording dates and times. Uh, you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy and Instagram is at APG crew. If you want to get into the weeds of things, I'll refer you over to Slack and hello. Yes. Into the weeds we go. And so let's see if we can uh, pull up the uh, hidden microphone in the bath. Hey, hello. It's time for hello. I mean, for Slack. Hello. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Sorry. Can give him a little chance to walk over here. He's dripping wet. And now tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Now you can head back to your uh, social distancing place. No, wait, Jeff. I'm social distancing. See? <laughs> Good man. Yes. I guess you're just not allowed in your own bathroom anymore. Apparently not, but there are, okay. luckily there are uh, four and a half Several. other bathrooms okay. in this house. You're good. You're good. <laughs> safe. Yes, I'm safe. All right. And uh, with that, um, wishing you all... Oh, before we go, we always have to point out the uh, great work done by our producer and director in our control room Yay. in Toronto, Liz Thanks, Piper. Liz. Yay. Way to go, Liz. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy. It's caught in my zipper, Jeff! Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I got 